At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our warmest gratitudes go out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davy Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindler. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Coco Talk. Episode 165 is all about M-I-D-I. We're talking MIDI talk. Are you ready to talk MIDI? Because we are. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we what did I say? Because Coco Talk is rocking uh, the 8-bit world. All right, well, that's, I've just been told in the booth that it's actually episode 175. I knew it ended in a 5, 65, 75. Who's counting? Who's counting? Two-thirds right. Yes, yes. <laughs> we uh, are. Good afternoon, everybody. We have con- compiled a panel here. We've uh, got some folks. We're going to talk about something very cool today. Uh, I thought we just showed up. We did. We did, but oh, okay. that's okay. Uh, it's like going to a fight and having a hockey game break out, right? So it's just one of those things that happens. So, um, so here we are. Today's topic is MIDI talk. We're going to be talking about MIDI. We've got some people going to be showing us some MIDI, talking about some MIDI, demonstrating some MIDI. Um, so if you are curious about MIDI, hopefully that curiosity will be uh, satisfied today. If you know something about MIDI, please feel free to chime in. Let's introduce our panel from the Great White North, it is L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome, Curtis. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. From down under, David O'Connor's with us. He knows the thing about MIDI. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. A guy who had MIDI for breakfast today, Mark Bosley's with us. Hey, Mark. <laughs> hello. He had MIDI wheat crunch for breakfast this morning. Or is it post-MIDI O's? I'm not sure which one it was. Um <laughs> 
one of our presenters today, a guy who knows MIDI, a guy who likes MIDI. He even uses Nitrous 9. Rob Inman's with us on the program. Hello, Rob. He's muted. Okay. A guy whose middle name is the music man, Brian Schubring's with us. Brian, you must know a thing or two about music or MIDI. Oh, MIDI, MIDI, MIDI. And MIDI all the way. <laughs> I think we lost Hello, Rob everybody. Inman. Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. And by the way, thanks for starting that series you started too, Brian, on MIDI, doing MIDI on the Cocoa. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be glad to see that continue. A guy who knows the thing about converting uh, PC Junior Joey Sticks to the Coco, Rick Euland is here. Hey, Rick, how are you? Well, I don't know MIDI, but I'm willing to change. <laughs> <laughs> Our resident Apple guy is joining us from locations unknown. Mark D. Overholzer is here. Hello, Mark. Hey, glad to be here. A guy whose name is so nice, we must say it thrice. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about... Hello, Nick. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So this guy is usually the guy who gets all the books and all the magazines, but apparently he's into MIDI, too. What aren't you a collector of, Brian Weasler? (laughs) Uh... I don't know. <laughs> you got a blank then. I got a blank. I have a little punchline already to go. I was going to say, to MIDI or not to MIDI? That's to, the question. That you know? is the question. But, uh, but then you, you threw me uh, threw me a curveball there. All right. I have to think, and I don't do well at thinking. So. All right. Well, you'll fit right in here. We should we should make you head of our writing department. You're still so, overqualified, Brian. <laughs> head of quality content, uh, Miss Brian Weasler. So, uh, Darren Audrey knows a thing or two about MIDI. He opened up our virtual Cocoa Fest this year with an awesome production welcome darren thanks for being here today hey guys and and the guy who loves music especially when people sing ron delvo is here hey ron how are you hi there <laughs> me and my first color computer mc10 yes I, I think, and this is my mick nick marota face ah, nice and close uh-huh mc10 all right the yeah. madman simon jonason is joining us hello simon all right. Uh, from down under, a guy who likes to say, "Oh, Rocky." Nicholas Morentes is here. Good eye, Nick. Good eye. And you know him. You love him. He's enthusiastic. Everybody, it's David Ladd. David, tell us, are you feeling excited about talking about MIDI today? Oh, hell yeah. Is everybody ready for today's show? I'm sure you guys are. We're going to be discussing MIDI, all the data rates and all the serial that MIDI uses and all the lovely instrument banks we get to play and listen to. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a musical event you don't want to miss. All right. Let's do it. All right. I'm All sick. Right. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> the creep factor just went to 11. All right. So we're here. Thank you, David. Your enthusiasm is is something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a live audience. Nick Marota's out there. Eight bits in the basement. Curtis Boyle, TJB, Chris is out there. Nimble, Terry Steen, Robert Murphy, Frodo, NL, James Jones, Nick Marota, Mark B, Mark Overholzer, Retro Innovations is there. Terry Steen, Tim Franklin, uh dave and sharon that's mr dave and rob inman all in the live chat canadian retro things has just joined in all right so we've got stuff 
to talk about. We're going to be getting into MIDI, but before we get into MIDI, we're going to do everyone's favorite segment. We are going to go over the Game On results and the High Score Challenge. We, we've got a brand new Coco Thoughts from Samuel Gimes. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's start things off with Coco Thoughts, and then we'll see how we did this week with the Game of the Week. And this is a brand new segment from Coco Thoughts. By the way, this is Coco Thoughts number 50. That's how many Coco Thoughts we've had right now. So that in itself is worth celebrating. So here we go. Enjoy the latest Coco Thoughts. Yeah. you're gonna have to watch the video yeah that needed a voiceover and i wasn't about to screw it up but uh for those of us who read it that was as always samuel gimes is a very deep thinker those were some deep thoughts that was some good clever humor going on there thank you so much samuel gimes all right so are we ready for the high score results we it's a rhetorical are. question so here we go Hello and welcome to another week of results where we played Arkanoid this week with 23 people. Our Alan Murphy, 27,960. Joshua, 34,180. Mark B, 35,020. Ken Reichardt, 37,770. Brian Weasler, 38,680. Jay Ray Blade, 41,900. Michael Klein, 41,910. Lawrence, 44,610. Tom C, 57,810. Jim Rye, 65,880. Tandy Color Computer 3, 70,280. Bryza, 81,750. L. Curtis Boyle, 86,620. Me, 93,830. Paul Shoemaker, 104,410. Mr. Dave, 104,610. 
8 bits in the basement, 138,260. David Croker, 139,990. Tasman, 143,820. Buck Owens, 172,210. Cat Lord, 179,470. Rogelio, 208,160. And the number one score this week was Canadian Retro Things with 222,320. Thank you for another fantastic week, guys. So, yeah, we had a brand new name at the top of the uh, leaderboard this week, which I like. We've had. uh, Yeah, congratulations. Canadian Retro Things. That was Ken from Canadian Retro Things. As long uh, as we I'll kept s- it in Canada, that's the good thing. That's right. <laughs> the cup is here where it belongs. And uh, a special shout-out to J. Ray Blade. That was his first score uh, that he submitted. So welcome to Game On Challenge. And also Core Dream Studios, who missed out on a deadline and was, uh, was uh, sad by that. But hopefully he will take part uh, starting this week. So it's good to see some new uh, new blood coming into the. Uh, uh, it's good to see Curtis not win it. To be honest, so no no no, uh, no personal and then not animosity. Even make the top ten. Yeah. I mean, just to rub it in. Yeah, yeah. that's my totally favorite stomped. part. Yeah, no personal animosity. I'm just glad that you sucked and crashed and burned. That's all. So. <laughs> I'm, <gonna grab> this. <laughs> I'm glad to meet expectations. That's all. all I can say. Meet yeah. and exceed. Uh-huh. Do you need to share can a screen? I, can I grab the screen? Yeah. You can. You just put it back when you're done, okay? Okay, let me try and share just the browser this time. I think last time I shared uh, too much. This is show, over, this is a show I, about I sharing. Yeah. Share. You overshared TMI, was it? Can you see that? We certainly can, Nick Moretta. All right. So we had the uh, we had the review uh, from Rainbow, which was uh, pretty favorable. So it was a you know it was a uh, new variation on an old classic. I just want to draw your attention to this part, though. Uh, apparently, this guy thought that this was an original Tandy game because he went on a tirade, kind of like uh, Samuel Gimes did, about the fact that it's a space game, yet has nothing to do with space. And uh, you know, Blade takes umbrage with the fact that uh, you know who are they? They destroyed your planet, and they're coming after you. And what's this Voss? <laughs> and what a bunch of junk he says! Wow. Don't think even remotely resembling spaceships. Story plays a laser item that allows you to shoot at the bricks. So he was he was pretty uh, pretty upset about this. Uh, wow. Misrepresentation uh, that was apparently on Tandy. Wow. This is actually something a lot of the Rainbow Reviews had. They were they were giving them to, like, hardcore geeks to do reviews for some reason instead of people that actually followed arcades or anything else. So a lot of the reviews, the people had no idea what they are playing. Completely or clueless. Or anything yeah. else. So I thought this was really hilarious. The guy I was just completely clueless. And, uh, he had his other, he says my other complaint. He had another complaint about his. Oh, pizza. okay. So I'm not done pissing in your Wheaties. Wait, I might actually <laughs> take a dump in there too. So hold on. His first complaint was his joystick wasn't working properly. Okay. So I felt the need to say that. Obviously, right. the game's fault. And then, but then he went on this little tirade, which I was actually thinking of getting someone to, to read and voice over. We need a dramatic reading of this. But uh, I didn't, didn't, uh, didn't follow which up on that. Which joystick? It was a deluxe joystick. It was back in the day. This is a reviewer from Rainbow who complained that his joystick didn't work properly with the game. Mm. But so, but uh, the the fact that this is essentially breakout in space, uh, yeah, nobody's denying that. But 
But there, it wasn't Tandy, it was Tato. Tato no, no, I get that. I get that. But there was there were a lot of things that this had that Breakout did not. Like like bricks you couldn't break, bricks that took more than one hit to break, aliens and enemies that came out after you. Um, oh, yeah, he points out the innovations. Yeah. Which I guess he also credits Tandy for. You yeah. know, the aliens, the doors, and the yeah, power. yeah, yeah. So yeah, this was obvious. There, there was, there's no disguising the fact that this game is completely derived from Breakout because it literally is Breakout, but it's Breakout in space on steroids. And boom, there you have it. That's all you had and to I say. I wish Rick Adams was on today because the reviewer <laughs> here is Jim Essel, and isn't that the guy that he carpooled to work with Dale Lear with? Hmm, I don't know. Is he the one that won the Temple of in space as well? I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> so better in space. So anyway, that, that, was, that was the point of this, is that just the reviewer was uh, giving Tandy credit and blame for this game. Ah. It was an arcade. Yeah, because when, um, when you read the description of Dale Lear's um, Firecopter game, the thing you're shooting at is an android <laughs> right so they even had to put some type of sci-fi theme on that you know so <laughs> you're going after an android so i couldn't find any other footage of arkner so i got i have this loser playing yeah whatever sure, guys some dipshit loser so yeah <laughs> but uh so what do you guys think of the, I, I, what the game Ooh, by the way you should have grabbed my score from here and put it in the challenge <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a statute of limitations on Oh, those is there really? Okay. The statute. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. So uh, I think this is, I'll start off and say this is one of the uh, most uh, arcade perfect uh, ports that the Coco 3 had, um, done by Steve Bjork, of mm-hmm. course. And um, I thought it was excellent. And there was a Coco 2 mode as well, mm-hmm. which uh, some people played the Coco 2 mode and preferred the Coco 2 mode, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coco 2 mode only has 22 of the levels. Um, but I don't know. Some people really like the Coco 2 mode. Well, the, the interesting thing, too, is Steve, when Steve York has talked about this, is that essentially the game is the same game. It's the same core. It's not like there's two versions of the game on the cartridge, from what he was saying. It's the same game, just depending on what it's running on. It is what it pulls <laughs> as far as what modes it'll pull up. But the actual logic and AI and all those routines is the same base code. So um, that's kind of interesting having, uh, you know, the, the multi-purpose software. Instead of being like two programs, it's one program with two modes. Right. Um, so. Like, like Tetris. So, Tetris right. does it. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So I was talking a little bit with Tom C. yesterday about, uh, about this game, and we were talking about how hard level three actually is. And one of the things Tom C. pointed out is that in the arcade, the game, the monitor was rotated. So it was high. It was a portrait mode. Right. So the bricks were actually further away from the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So on level three, where you start off and you're right up against the bricks, so level three is actually harder on the Coco version than it right. is in the arcade. Right. Um, so maybe, um, yeah. So that's very, I mean, so there are some differences, of course. But uh, yeah, that was a level that took me literally, I, I think, out of, uh, I played it for like about two or three hours there. I think I made it to level four, maybe twice. And Steve recreated the levels just as they were in the arcade, but I felt even in the arcade, level three probably should have been a little later because it was actually pretty hard compared to some of the ones that came after. Are we talking about this game or Popstar Pilot at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Nick Marentes can patch this game and move the levels around a little bit for us. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a really good port. Um, I don't know if anybody else has... Oh, um, absolutely. 
sound yeah, it's effects. One, it's one, like you said, it's one of the closer arcade ports that Coco got, like an official port. It's actually yeah. one of the best. I'd bring it get up the Rampage, you know, type thing as being yeah. close to the arcade. Absolutely. It does lend itself to an analog joystick. Um, oh, you have to. Yeah. yeah. So, trying so unfortunately, to use... some people couldn't take part because they didn't have a true analog controller. So, and they yeah, because your position on the bottom of the screen is actually literally your position on the joystick itself, going left to right. So you need those extra positions, otherwise you just jump around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with this, with the um, focus of this, well, we we count score, we don't count score. You know what I mean? But if you're going for score, each of those uh, guys move around is worth a thousand points. So if you want to rack up points, especially on the first level, kind of hang around. And pick off a few of those guys before you clear the level. Um, that's what I kind of did. Um, of course, balancing the fact that the ball is getting faster and faster, and you have to decide when it's going to get too fast for you to uh, to survive. Um, not that my score was fantastic; I was number ten. But <laughs> is, is there certain power-ups you guys found the most useful besides the slowing the ball down? As, as you just lasers. I didn't like this. I didn't like the ball split as much because you don't actually get any other power ups during that. So if you have the ball split, then you don't get that. You have to wait until you get down to one ball again until you get other power ups. But yeah, laser's good. Laser the sticking to the uh, paddle is good. Fat paddle is good too. The um, the wider paddle is helpful. I never in all my playing, I never found the even though they're there, I never found the extra player or the break hooks the next level. But they are they are in the game according to the manual, but they're extremely rare. Hmm. Yeah, I think they don't appear to the later levels if I remember correctly. I used to be better at this game, but I, I'm totally suck at it now. As as Steve pointed out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. By the way, Curtis didn't even make the top ten this week, you guys. If you didn't know <laughs> yeah, that. I'm hearing, not, so. I'm hearing some excuses <laughs> coming away from, uh, from across the country there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dave says he's uh, he avoided the slowdown. Um, Terry Steen, oh, really? Yeah, Terry Steen says, we need to have some Coco game, no ports, cosplay at Coco Fest. I want to go as a donut with a dilemma. And, <laughs> and Rob Edmund says, I'll be a pop star pilot. Okay, so getting a little off topic there, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I did like all the backgrounds, too, changing yes, like yes. every level. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah one, one thing, the Coco 1, 2 version does not have, unfortunately. Yeah. No. Yeah, the sound effects, the sound effects, I think, were probably digitized from the original source, like digital samples. Um, yeah, the, the better colors, the backgrounds, the sound effects. Uh, the, the sounds weren't exactly the same. Like in the arcade, the, the ping had a bit of an echo effect. To it. Okay. Whereas in, the, in this version, it's just a straight, you know, bing okay. or straight tone. But So it's not 100% converted, uh, but... Yeah, that's good. The gameplay itself is yeah. uh, really, really accurate. If somebody wants to be really enterprising, one thing I wouldn't mind seeing is actually, because I'm assuming that the map, the tile maps are actually fairly simply stored because there's so many of them on the cartridge, is to actually for somebody to write an editor so you can create your own levels. Hmm. That would be neat. <laughs> Rob's comment, the L and L Curtis both stands for Arkanoid Loser. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Yeah, it's a good yeah, game. Please feel free to send in your Curtis Flames to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should make that a regular segment. Can we do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And one trick here is for the purposes of uh, the game on challenges, I wanted you guys to start at level one. We may have to go back and change it every time. That's okay. 
Um, but you guys did it, so. Yeah, that was a little annoying, actually, that you had to keep resetting it every time. I, I guess it's it's nice if you're just you know playing for the fun of it and you want to just get through levels as much as you can. But yeah, it would yeah, be nice if there was an option to say restart every game at one versus just having to manually do it every time. Because I did yeah. forget quite a few times. So ah, oh, crap. Well, so not only was your score low, you cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Winners never I cheat, just, and cheaters never win. Haters gonna hate. That's right. I don't hate you. Yeah, so, but the rest uh, do, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a real dis-courtesy. Oh, dis-courtesy. Uh, that was punny. Good All deal. Right, Good so deal. Thanks again for, that was a great week. Anybody had any other tips and tricks on the game? Anything like that? I found, like myself personally, on near when you're near the end of the levels and you're trying to hit a specific little brick that's left over, or one or two of them anyway, that getting the magnetic one, because depending how far the ball was locked onto your paddle left to right, you could kind of guess what the angle would be. You could get it much easier than just trying to hit it while it's in motion. That's about the only trick I had. Yeah. Yeah, getting the last one was a pain. Obviously, don't listen to my tricks. I didn't even make the top 10, so, yeah. <laughs> very nice very nice uh so uh are we ready to hear about next are we game? ready to i am waiting with bated breath to find out so this i'm was not a, ready so this was a late game we're gonna go early early now this week to an old classic and i think you guys will recognize it Oh, Canyon Climber. Canyon Climber. Canyon Climber. 1982, 16K, Coco 1, 2, and 3. It's the summer of um, Steve Bjork. Yes, yes. This game can be played with keyboard, too. He doesn't have the primary credit on this. He worked with somebody else. This is James Garron. James Garron. James Garron, yeah. So, uh... Yep, yeah, you're basic. Avoid the arrows and the falling things and whatever. And Loosely based on Donkey Kong, I guess would be one way to describe it. Very similar, especially this level looks a lot like Donkey Kong. Yeah, the first level where you have to put down the dynamite, to me that reminds me of the rivets, you know, putting down all the yep. rivets to clear the screen. That The one with the ramps and the ladders, if you can't tell me that's not inspired by Donkey Kong. But the third screen... You know, that is somewhat unique where you're hopping over different levels to get to the ladders to go across. So it's it's actually the third screen is a kind of a variation on the second screen. It's still the same kind of pattern of going up an arc and climbing a ladder and going across. But you have um, the falling, I'm assuming the rocks the birds are dropping on you. Could be, I don't know, it could be violent bird poo, but it's whatever the birds are dropping, it will kill you. Um, so you got to avoid the falling. Serious crap. Yeah, serious crap right there. Absolutely. Uh. So again, thank you guys for taking part. Thank you, Stevie, for uh, for uh, allowing me to come uh, to segment. It's really fun. And, Absolutely. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. It's everyone's favorite segment of the show. Well, speaking of everyone's favorite segment of the show, we are going to run Who's New to Discord this week. Then we're going to take a commercial break, and then we'll be back with the main part of our show today, which is going to be MIDI talk. So uh, what commercial would we like to run? Actually, I already know. Because we're going to be talking about Coco's stuff and MIDI that runs in Nitrous 9, we will run a Nitrous 9 commercial. So um, we'll be back after these words, everybody. 
It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Please welcome rgertz93, Ryan. His first system was a Coco 2, still has that with a Coco 3, and is running Drivewire. CJS Kurt is into Homebrew 6800 and Japanese early microsystems, and was referred by Seat Safety Switch. GOS Ryan is into the Coco, which started his career, and he's looking to get a Model 4 working as a terminal. Core Dream Studios Dan is into the Coco 3, Apple 2, Commodore 64, and consoles. Rock and Roll 1991, aka Ed on Discord, is into the Apple 2, the NES, and 6502 systems, except Commodore. Also, a special thanks to Boy Song Tech, our Coco Talk patrons, David Ladd, Jim Rye, Paul Fiscarelli, Rob Inman, and Terry Steggy for boosting the Discord server. Join us on Discord at discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord, everybody! And now, this message. Hi, it's Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Talk crew of people. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Noble, co author of Nitrous Nine. You are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk show. Good day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use. I find OS9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual. And yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events, to persons living or dead, is purely coincidental. Hi, this is Max Jackson, live from Coco Fest. you listen to the real game, Steve Shrow. We're traveling through a dimension both of sound and ideas. We're at a place where the mind can comprehend and devise a solar radio, a wireless transmitter, measure time and light. 65 electronic projects brought to reality with this science fair kit. Astonishing, perhaps. But you can find it for Christmas, for $17.95, in a place that's known as Radio Shack. Radios, stereos, recorders, everything in sound. Clear your hesitation. 
just hit clear. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hi, this is Sean Wheatley, and you're listening to Coco Talk with the original gamer, Stevie Stroke. The music is back. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. The Mini Maestro. Available now only from Retro Innovations. As seen on Coco Talk. Go the number four retro.com. Oh yeah, get your motor running, everybody. It's time, it is time for MIDI Talk. We're gonna be talking about MIDI. How do you spell MIDI? What does it rhyme with MIDI? What flavor is MIDI? What color is MIDI? What's the smell of MIDI? You're going to learn all those things and more today on MIDI Talk. Uh, L. Curtis Boyle, you want to go ahead and uh, set the stage for us? Yeah, so uh, basically uh, Jim Brain has rekindled the uh, MIDI hardware cartridge because <clears throat> there's two ways to play uh, MIDI on the Coco. You can use the Bitbanger port to output. You just make a little cable and you, you send it out and there's several programs that support that. <clears throat> it doesn't let you do any recording. I think it's only for playing MIDI, so that's kind of like the poor man's version, I guess you'd call it. And then the MIDI pack is something that was designed and sold by Speech Systems originally. Then Glenside took it over and was generating it for the Glenside Computer Club, which is, of course, the sponsor of CocoFest. Um, and one of the people that actually helped make that version of it is here on the panel. We'll be talking about it today. And then now Jim Brain has actually made a new version that is now on sale that actually has some improvements um, that Brian can, can talk about as well. And also, Jim, if he manages to join us here. So I'm not a MIDI expert. I did play with it a bit back in the um, <clears throat> late 80s, early 90s, I guess it was. I bored a synthesizer from my roommate at the time. So I actually had Altimuse, one of the programs that we'll be talking about today. So this is just going to be basically a MIDI primer, like what it is, what you can do with it on the Coco, the fact that it works on the Coco 1 and 2 and the Coco 3, and there's different software packages for each. And uh, our main people that are going to be talking about it today are Brian Schubring, who's been doing a series of MIDI videos on the Coco here, just started this last week. He's got two episodes out so far. Rob Inman, who's done some uh, fiddling around with it himself and will be doing some live demonstrations. Mm -hmm. And then Darren Ottery, who actually uh, did a, a huge production here at the beginning of the Coco Fest, uh, virtual Coco Fest we did this year, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, we'll be doing a follow-up episode, getting more into the details. This is more of an introduction to the software, introduction to the hardware, introduction to BD itself. But we plan on actually having some of the same panelists on later on and maybe some other ones too to actually you know get more into the details on a future episode. And I think uh, to start it off, I think Rob Inman will be doing a bit of a slideshow just to kind of explain what MIDI is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Do I sound okay? I've had to reboot a couple of times. You sound fine. Okay. That's good to hear. <clears throat> okay, so let me um... clear my throat. Na 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 na. Yeah. Na, na. Okay. Here we go. His throat's a little hoarse after singing that song earlier. Was it Mr. Red? <laughs> All right, let's see if uh, this works out. Can you guys see my screen okay? We can see it. All right, I had to switch to a single uh, monitor. There we go. Here we go, MIDI Basics and the Tandy Color Computer. 
uh, brought to you by Retro Innovations and the new MIDI Maestro Pack. Order yours today. Um, you know, just to just to uh, pivot off of what Curtis said, um, I didn't get a chance to use MIDI MIDI very often. Um, you know, um, back in the day, it was very expensive. Everything in the rainbow was you know a hundred dollars for for these uh, types of packages. So, uh, even though I did have a synthesizer, uh, I I never uh, you know got to take advantage of it. So it's it's pretty exciting that we have all these. Um, you know, options today, and, and they're all available to use um, at no cost. So what is MIDI? Um, it's a protocol, a set of agreed rules that enables music to be stored, stored as a set of instructions. So these are instructions that a MIDI-enabled musical instrument can read and understand to create music. Um, on the right is an example of that, um, you know, gu Guitar Hero, uh, uh, uses a set of instructions, right, to represent the the notes, and then you um, you play along and um, and uh, collaborate with that application. Um, MIDI uh, instructions contain a lot of uh, data. Well, it can be very simple and very complex, and so all the data uh, can include the pitch, length, uh, attack, sustain, various instruments, and they get. Um, larger and larger as um, you know, the more complex they are. Uh, just hitting the uh, um, the 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 dial on a um, on a synthesizer, um, um, kind of what I call the wah wah dial, um, can create uh, you know hundreds of hundreds more notes. So the Coco cannot play uh, complex modern MIDI files, but there's plenty of um, available files, and we'll talk about those in a second that you could take advantage of today. Okay. What is it to store images? Uh, so this is an example of images as opposed to sound. Um, if you're storing um, a bitmap uh, image as opposed to a vector image, and a vector is, is a series of instructions, um, and in the same way a, a sound is uh, uh, comprised of uh, your sampling and, and MIDI, MIDI being a series of instructions. Um, there are hundreds of Coco-friendly tracks available to play. Uh, I clipped out a few that I saw on the SDC archive image that you can download for your Coco SDC. Um, there's a, a brand new image uh, that was released just a few weeks ago, and it has even, even more stuff than the previous one in terms of MIDI and music applications. Don't forget to search the archive. There's other uh, things you won't find on the image or not as easily and you can download those individually. So this is an example of searching uh, for um, the word MIDI, and you can see a whole bunch of stuff comes up. And then um, I just highlighted four of the most uh, common MIDI programs and what they require to run, and a couple of um, bullet points on you know what, what they are and how they pitched themselves back in the day. So Lyra is a Cocoa One and Two, um, it only requires 64K, and um, it does have an OS 9 version, or you can run it in Deck B. It has a graphical GUI uh, interface, and um, you can edit your uh, music score up to eight different parts. Musica is another one, and this one only requires 32K. Um, also for um, RS-DOS, and uh, this is by Speech Synth speech systems uh, and um, they created one of the original uh, MIDI packs that the uh, that I believe the Jim Brain product is based off of. 
Yeah, and it predates uh, Lyra too by a few years. This is the older, oldest one of the ones you're presenting today. Mm-hmm. Coco Mini Pro, I think you would say, uh, Curtis, is, is one of the more advanced. Um, I would say the most advanced as far the as most advanced. full capabilities of MIDI. Yeah. Yep, can record 16 tracks. It requires a Coco 3, even though it is in semi-graphics, as you can see, but you can select up to 64 colors. Um, it does require five, uh, you know, full full five twelve K, and um, um, but you do you can actually record back into the application, and we'll be talking about that today. And of course, Ultimuse, uh, which um, is an OS nine application graphical interface, runs in the the highest resolution mode, two color mode. Um, you can also select those colors, and. Um, I was very interested in getting, getting this working, and it and it does work um, now in Nitrous Nine Ease of Use Edition. So we'll talk about that, and we can flip back uh, through any of these slides if uh, if we want to later. And of course, the MIDI Maestro Pack, which is available now from the brains that brought you uh, Coco Flash. Uh, it's uh, fully compatible with uh, existing software, which is uh, you know the exciting part of um, being able to just plug and play. Um, works with Dragon, and um, you know has in, out, and through connectors for um, any um, keyboards or MIDI products that have those ports. And you can get it now from go the number four retro.com. Yeah, there's, there's options anything... for getting it with a case. There's options for getting just the kit version if you want to like solder the board yourself. So there's there's different options available on its website. Yeah. So do you want to flip back and talk about any of the others or any of the MIDI experts want to? Kind of highlight something. It's this is kind of new to me. Well, Aaron uh, and or Rob, any comments? Um, I love. I just love Coco MIDI Pro. It it is a pro product, and it's the heart of my workflow. Uh, you can do anything with it. If you can think it in MIDI, you can do it with Coco MIDI Pro. So, I just encourage anybody that really wants to write music with their Coco to to really get into that product have a good look at it and it, that one supports midi in where you can record live off your keyboard as well as midi out does it support the midi through as well yeah it, it does and what i love about it is uh with my setup because i've got a lot of outboard keyboards where you can use the different midi channels to play different parts bass drums and so on but you can if you record in uh on a certain channel it'll record that midi channel as you're playing so you, you can assemble all those parts and immediately play it back without having to juggle things around, if that makes sense. So if you're playing drums on channel 10, it'll, it'll record that channel number and play it back properly. And, and I'll, look, I'll do a video sort of recording a workflow so you can see how those tracks all, all progress out really quickly. That'd be great. Cool. I'm glad you're here to talk about that because that's that's something I've I've seen demonstrated right. at the fests 30 years ago, but I don't remember much about the fact that you actually are using it. You know, even now, I think it's a testament to how good that software is. Yeah, Dave, you do a fair bit in with MIDI too. I mean, you do a lot of CV and gate, but you do a bit of MIDI stuff, don't you? Oh uh, yeah, probably. Um, my workflow is probably th a third CV gate, a third MIDI, and a third audio. So it's, it, it gets an equal pressing here. So yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, 
just about everything I've got here has got uh, some form of MIDI in or out, so it'd be silly not to make use of it. Right. No. And, and for those who have never been to a Cocoa Fest, and, and that's where I've met Brian Shubring was at Cocoa Fest, but Brian the Music Man has been providing music at events for probably going on Decades. 30 years. Decades. <laughs> um, but so Brian and, and will bring a whole and, and it's a cocoa. He's got a cocoa hooked up to a huge sound system running MIDI keyboards and playing all kinds of music all weekend long. Uh, when we start off Cocoa Fest with the national anthems, he'll play the national anthems from, um, you know, United States and Canada and any other countries that were there. I remember one year we had Brazil as well. We had Canada, U.S., maybe even the U.K., um, so, yeah, so Brian Schubring, you've been doing a lot of stuff with MIDI instruments and driving those instruments through the cocoa, and, and, and it's kind of great timing because you started your series on, on stuff, and you're, you're producing a series of videos kind of giving, giving people some information on how to put their toe in the water on this. So um, who, who was going to show us a little show and tell today? Was that going to be you, Rob, or was that going to be Brian, or a combination of the above? Both. But, yeah yeah combination of i have some ready to go videos um brian we could start with brian and then i could show the videos and do a couple live demos yeah i mean i think really you got to hear it right you just need to hear the music and um and mid i think we're i don't know if we were talking about this before the show or whatever maybe it was last night when we were on discord but it's kind of like been this whole arc on how we've been enjoying music on on our computers like um i didn't get into midi on the cocoa i kind of got out of the cocoa around 86 but i got into midi on the pcs and especially like in the windows 3x era and so i went through a period of time where you were collecting hundreds if not thousands of midi songs and that was the cool thing to do is to listen to really good cool music on your computer that were midi files and then then it kind of went from midi to the um what what's the um What's the Commodore uh, Amiga tracker files? The mod files? Mod files. So then we went from MIDI to mod files, and you started playing mod files. And it's like, oh, wow, man, this is really cool. These sound like real, real instruments now. And then from there, I just kind of went to MP3s. And then we were like, well, crap, I can hear the real song on my computer. And so I think we've kind of lost some of the appreciation of hearing the the MIDI music because you you know it's almost like if you hear MIDI music now unless it's done well it almost sounds like a carnival compared to obviously playing an MP3 file with real instruments and stuff like that but I guess it depends on the on the track because if it's an electronica like an electronic synth heavy track well that's all that's all you know uh, keyboards anyways but if you're trying to do midi to play guitar or play certain instruments that just don't sound the same it, it kind of shows its limitations but i was a huge fan of not only collecting and playing midi files on my dos pcs and windows era pcs but i also had dabbled in playing with midi uh, with instruments and recording my own tracks and stuff i'm musically illiterate but i was able to compose multi arrangements in MIDI and save them and play them back and stuff. So I had fun playing with it in the nineties. I, I enjoyed it, but I, I've never seen it or heard it on the Coco. So I'm really looking forward to what you guys have to show off today. So. A funny, um, a funny thing is, you know, in the pro music community, uh, pro music community, um, MIDI really never left. Like MIDI has been a constant, um, uh, way of making music uh, since the around 83, 84 
right through till now. Uh, and I think a lot of the pro musos never really got into the mod players because of the lower sample rates. It kind of didn't sound, it didn't sound uh, right to a pro musicians. Whereas when you're using MIDI, the uh, only limiting factor is the, the outboard gear that you're driving. Mm-hmm. So, so it's pretty cool. I was going to mention that too. That basically the samples that are on some of the MIDI keyboards. I mean, you can get the cheap keyboards, and it does sound like Steve was mentioning a little bit, you know, warbly or or not that, you know, not like a real guitar, or whatever. But if you have the high end MIDI synths, you can get basically they have the samples in there that are literally, you know, as good as a forty four kilohertz, you know, master type thing. Yeah. The thing, the, the thing with MIDI and with the uh, and with MIDI files too, as you would know, Darren, and is MIDI will record and play back what you give it. So if a MIDI file sounds ordinary, it's either one of two things. Either it's ordinary, you know, an ordinary performer put it together and there's no feel or no nuances, no pitch bends and no yeah. human stuff. Either that or the synth, synth that you're plugging it into is a very basic synthesizer and can't do justice to the, the data in the MIDI file. Right, right, right. Well, so no talking about MIDI with regards to music, but one of the interesting things that with MIDI is it's being used to control other things these days too, like lighting. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah. So it's basically, yep. it's used as a signaling protocol now. Well, and the can, thing is, I was going to say the thing is you you're you're recording the source code, if you will. So if you come up with a better guitar synth, that old file will sound. It'll sound better. Yeah. 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 True. Yeah, you can buy a, an eighty thousand dollar mixing console, brand new, and uh, it will have MIDI to, as a as a control feature, so that you can sync yeah, up yeah. your your mixing console to right, whatever you right, want. right. You can use MIDI to control lights. You can use MIDI to mm. control your uh, uh, audio processors in your rack. Right. You can use a foot pedal to switch off. I, I, yeah, it used to be in the old days. If you were a guitarist, you had a bunch of foot pedals that were all actual physical pedals with different effects, like your distortion and your flange and your reverb and your echo. Now your foot pedal is just a controller that you're pulling up different program numbers that because everything is running through a digital uh, sound processor now, so you don't no longer have all the analog pedals, but they're still using a foot pedal that's just basically typing in different number sequences to pull up a certain sound combination on their on their rack. So, uh, so MIDI is still being used in a lot of other ways to control things besides just the very direct thing we're going to be showing off today, which is playing a note on a keyboard and recording that note and having it played back on the keyboard. That's like the direct correlation of input, output, and music, but there's so many other things that MIDI does as well that aren't as easy to quantify between I pressed the middle C on a grand piano and I heard it play back and it sounded like a piano, you know, so. Yeah, and the nice thing about MIDI too, because it's recording the the note specifics, like the pitch, the inflection, bends, et cetera, you can assign a different instrument and then just instantly, so let's say you recorded a multi-track song and you've got you know, an acoustic guitar sound, and all of a sudden, you know, I want that to be a, a ukulele, for example. Mm-hmm, of you course. can actually just assign the new the new patch to it, saying, okay, this is now this entire track you're going to play with this new ukulele sound, and you don't have to re-record it or anything else. The timing, everything you did before is exactly the same as it was. You just can instantly switch the instruments between mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. instruments. All right. Actually, um, yeah. just just before we the guys get into it, too, I've got a question to throw out there, which maybe may get answered during the the course of the demos or or maybe we just think about it or shut it down but i always wondered um if you could use logic to control midi so in other words if you had a bit banger um to midi cable or an interface could you actually drive that from basic could you could you um write a basic program that might poke or or whatever to 
uh, write your own um, MIDI control code. Um, I, I know it must be able to be done, but I'm just sort of, you know, because you can't really use MIDI software to, to, you can record what you want to record, but you can't actually write some simple code to, I don't know, turn your lights on and off. I, I'd love to know if anybody's You'd done that. You need to or, ride a MIDI driver. Yeah. Yeah, it's it'd be a really cool, really cool thing to do, I think, to, to get some use out of um, MIDI packs that isn't are just you, music. Are you, saying, are, are you saying just be able to, from, from like a Cocoa Basic, be able to, you know, send out MIDI commands? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, a simple, a simple example would be, you know, if I, how, would I, how would I play the note C from Basic yep. out, the MIDI, out the MIDI port? But, but equally, that could be how do I send a MIDI code that controls another device and turn a light off you know it's from from the from from basic uh, from deck b or whatever yes it's absolutely possible receiving commands are challenging because they come in could come in very quickly and basic might not be fast enough to to read them but midi commands on the on on sending information out is absolutely possible even within basic and in fact um pretty much every computer system no matter what speed it runs at, um, should be absolutely p- possible to send um, properly formatted MIDI signals, even from a very slow basic function. So that, that would open up a yeah. That'd be, that'd be an amazing topic to kind of you know open yeah. up the world of um, controlling external devices. I think. Yep. And under Nitrous yeah. Nine, there is a MIDI driver, <clears throat> so you just take like Basic Nine, for example. You just open the path to the port, the MIDI slash MIDI port, and you can just start just pumping stuff out with printer. Or put or whatever. So yeah, you can definitely do it for both both operating systems. Yep. The MIDI, MIDI itself, the actual data protocol itself, is actually quite a straightforward serial digital protocol. Um, the most important thing, obviously, with MIDI is the timing. You know, thirty-one point two five kilohertz, I think, is the is the operating frequency of MIDI. Um, and that, that's the that's the critical point. You've got to make sure your timing is spot on. Otherwise, other instruments won't recognize it. If the timing's wrong. True, but if you have a if you have most of the time, the, the, what makes that possible, though, is is the pack itself, right? So the pack makes sure that that timing is all taken care of. And then the only thing that else you need to worry about is, <clears throat> I'm sure most MIDI instruments will discard a partial MIDI packet, right? MIDI is not just a single byte. MIDI is a, um, you know, it's a sequence of bytes. So um, the, the, the keyboard, for instance, if you want to play a note or a controller like Steve is describing that turns on a, a light or whatever, I'm sure those have, a, have some sort of fail safe that, that says, okay, I received part of a MIDI packet, but then like two seconds have passed and I haven't received the rest of it. So I'm going to just throw it away, right? Because it's been too long and something must happen. Somebody must have pulled a cord or whatever. Oh. So you do need to send them you know, before a timeout occurs. But as far as the, you know, as long as you have the pack itself or, or a cartridge like that it, itself, then the 31.25 kilohertz um, is set in the pack and it'll clean everything up for you. Then it's just a matter of sending the right byte out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't try. I wouldn't try writing a basic program to drive MIDI through the bit banger. I mean, that you'll pretty well need a semi language to get it. Yeah, that fast. yeah. I was, I was thinking, how cool would it be? Like, if I've got a um, external uh, multi-track recorder, right? So, how cool would it be if I had my Coco Three sitting at my desk, and to drop the recorder into record, I could just hit a, hit the space bar on my Coco. That would be a really simple. If I if I could output through a MIDI um, pack. 
uh, the right codes, I could program my own controls from the Coco keyboard, play, record, fast forward, all that sort of stuff just by pressing keys on my color computer. That would be cool. Yep. Yeah, you can do that with both sexes. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever it's worth, on our old serial port, we tried to hit MIDI baud with the same crystal as we were using for serial stuff, and it just didn't Not quite like work. <laughs> we yeah. could, we'd have to go to a 24 um, megahertz crystal to divide it right, and then some of the serial bauds didn't work, so it just kind of never worked out for us. You're right, though. It does have a... I have another product for another platform that does both. It'll do regular serial as, as well as MIDI. And it does require a very, very, um, uh, you know, high megahertz crystal in order to divide it down. And there are, you know, there are small discrepancies, but the MIDI protocol is somewhat forgiving. You know, it's like 31.180 to 31.390 or something kilohertz is all possible and usable within the, within the error tolerance for the MIDI protocol. So you do have a little bit of a wiggle room, but, but you're right. It is, it is challenging to get everything to work. And I'm not exactly sure why the historical on using um, such a, such an interesting baud rate that was not anything like any of the other um, rates used for, for contemporary modems or anything like that at the time, but it's a standard. So that's what we have. Hmm. It's a pretty amazing standard too. I think was it 1983? I think that they officially released it, and here we are in 2020, and we're still using the same protocol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In professional circles, you know, we use it all the time. Right. All right. Well, I want to hear something. We've been talking about MIDI. Let's <laughs> let's hear some MIDI. Who's gonna? Why don't, why don't we do this, Stevie? Let me let me play a couple of videos, and um, prepackaged. What do you think? That sounds good. All right. Let's do something where we show in Coco MIDI 2 uh, how you can uh, choose an instrument that may not have been the original uh, one that was chosen. So uh, let's share system sound and we're going to hold on. Sorry, I was getting impatient, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, here we go. All right, can you see my screen? Yes, we can. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's listen to a little small world. Mm. Can you hear that? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna build up, Stevie. Just things that are more impressive. You see, we got to start somewhere. You don't want to start at ten. So that one. This is a Coco MIDI two, and I just loaded. It's a small world after all, and I chose a brass section on my Yamaha MX-88. So let's... Uh, let's and that's a Coco 1 up. and 2 program, we should point out, and it will actually handle okay. up to 16 tracks on a, on a MIDI pack. Yeah, that the only thing that can make that song worse was to hear the Polka version like we just did there. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just right, think of Disneyland. Yeah, I, think, I, that, think, so. I think my T count just went down, so yeah. Let's, thanks. Go, uh, let's, <laughs> let's go to another one. Okay, this is me doing some knob fiddling. Now nah, that's my jam right there. <laughs> Did I axle F then? Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course, this can sound totally different on your 
for synthesizer choice. You hear some of the effects there too, like the yeah. pitch bends and stuff. Yeah. I like the fact that it shows live on the keyboard too what keys are being hit so you can actually learn to play the song while watching it. Yeah. That sounded cool. Nice and crunchy. Yep. Yeah. And then so let's uh we'll take a step back. Uh no, let's take a step forward and show you a little bit of Flight of the Bumblebee. And I chose a, a certain performance on my Yamaha that... Uh, so right now, this is being played on your actual uh, musical keyboard. It's being driven by this program and the Coco on your keyboard, It right? was when it was recorded to video. Yes, okay. Yep. Yes, exactly. Cool stuff. So let's show something with Coco Muddy Pro with many tracks and with kind of a randomly selected um, settings on my Yamaha. Interesting. Uh, Interesting take. Yeah, and you can play around with that. And I really like the I, percussion track on that. Damn it, you made my ears bleed. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. <laughs> uh, and then I really wanted to get Ultimuse working, and it turned out it was working fine in ease of use. There was a file that had to be deleted. Uh, we'll, go, we'll certainly help you offline with that. Um, but once I got it working, I, I had a lot of files to go through. So I thought, well, you know, what if I could play some some uh, Shanghai or uh, King's Quest and other kind of games while I was going through music kind of in the background? And um, this is a little bit of uh, what I was up to. And I'm here in Ultimuse on the video. Okay. And this is the, the song I picked out. Um, I'm going to go and just hit the play key here, and we're going to hear some music starting, some nice little piano music. But let's go play some Fexter. This is what this music means. <laughs> Why not? Dramatic Fexter. <laughs> yes, and, and now I don't have the system sound of the Coco piped in, but it, it, it also plays at the same time. And I think I'm gonna play some chess. <laughs> I'm starting to really get into this music track. And let's fire up some Shanghai Basic 09. But um, you know what? I don't think that's enough. Like, I'm just a real good multitasker, so I'm just gonna start a game at King's Quest. And Pick up where I left off on King's Quest 3. Just check in to see uh, how much memory. Oh, look, a megabyte left. 
lot going on on this Cobra 3. Will your timing staying impressively tight? That's one big advantage of using the, the hardware pack versus the bit banger. You tend to lose the timing a lot more multitasking with the bit banger. Yeah, no doubt. And the wizard's yelling at me here, but the music keeps playing. I just have to hit clear. That, that is impressive. Yeah. I should mention here too, he's not running Thexter at full speed either. He's using the default three speed setting. Um, there's options to actually speed it up if you wanted it to run a bit faster. I'm really impressed with the MIDI timing on that running in the background that it hasn't missed a beat. I was impressed by the trash can that you had there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only we could yeah. stick someone in it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good comeback. Dave with a comeback. Look at that. Are you offering? <laughs> so then I can go back and I can start playing more files or select different um, images on the SDC. And um, you know, away I go. I believe there is there. I've heard there's a juke, jukebox function or a way to kind of keep the tracks going, so you don't have to co keep going back and choosing new songs. But I haven't found that yet. But uh, it was pretty. I'm, I'm think Brian will be able to help explain that. Yeah. Now the so, the keyboard. Uh, what what keyboard are you outputting to again, Rob? Yamaha MX88. Now is that a gen is that general MIDI standard? It's. Um, I don't know what. If it um, is configured to, you know, what what would happen if you played general MIDI files through? Because we're playing UltraMuse files and we're playing, you know, files that are specifically. No, but you're 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 familiar with the general MIDI standard though, where you have this mm -hmm. 127 instruments. You know, grand pianos are the first half dozen and stuff. I don't know the answer to that. But is it has it has one? Yeah, it has an XG mode, which is like very. It's like an enhanced GM. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the first um, the first MIDI thing I became aware of uh, home computer-wise was when the like you, you showed that King's Quest game. So uh, Sierra was always pushing the envelope on, on computer music, right? So they started on the Tandy mm -hmm. 1003 voice music, then they got into like the AdLib synthesizer, which was an 11 voice FM synthesis based on like a Yamaha chip, which is like the predecessor to the sound blaster but they also supported midi and some other early sierra games where they that you had to get a midi instrument and it was a roland i don't remember the exact number of the roland but it was roland mt301 32 mt32 mt32 right so they were driving that roland mm -hmm. and that thing has become kind of like one of the dominant things but that was pre-general midi so the whole thing about general midi if anybody's not familiar with midi was that before the general MIDI standard, whoever made a keyboard, instrument one may or may not have been grand piano. It could have been a banjo. It could have been uh, you know, electric piano. So general MIDI just said, we're going to have standard values for different instrument numbers. So like zero through seven were different variations of analog pianos. And then we got into our electric pianos and our harpsichords and stuff. So it was just a way to standardize the, the instruments. So uh, anybody could have made a general MIDI compliant one, but everybody's organ would have sounded different, like Korg organs. Um, the Korg synthesizers always had a really good Hammond rock organ sound, and Yamahas were known for their grand piano sound. So every every synth, you know, different manufacturers specialize in one thing over the other, you know. And But Roland was one of the first ones that I think kind of got people into 
um, controlling these things through computers and stuff. And so I think that kind of set some precedents just from my own memories and experiences, yeah. you know. It, that, that evolved into a thing called the sound canvas, which mm. which is like a really um, a really high quality version of the MT thirty two and okay, um, and that and that oh, was the thing. You, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were good. You, we we uh, like back in the day when all that stuff was being standardised and such. I was I worked for Music Workshop in in Geelong at the time, and we hired out a lot of stuff, equipment, studio gear and, and PA gear and all the rest of it. And um, general MIDI stuff um, got a lot of use from people doing karaoke stuff back then. Yeah. could use karaokes with MIDI files and, and sing along with it. That was generally very, very cheesy, but some of, them, some of them were less cheesy than others. Yeah. Brian, the music man, are you going to treat us to some music today, sir? Oh, I can certainly do that. Um, and by the way, Rob, thanks for putting that together. Those videos, those it yes, sounded good, man. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I got uh, stuff uh, more or less uh, queued up and all that. Right uh, back here, I've got a Coco Two sitting on a uh, keyboard, and that uh, with set up with uh, Lyra. Uh, two point six two is the version uh, for the Coco uh, One and Two. Uh, you have to have 64K on it. Uh, let me switch my sc uh, screen here real quick. Lyra, Lyra, pants on fire. Uh-oh, uh you went dark on us. There we go. There we go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here for some reason. I got this scene is just not setting up correctly, but you can still see the screen. I now. see you, and yeah. I see Lyra. The yep. MIDI yep, music. Yep, yep. And it is, it is Lyra. Yeah, that's, not... uh, that's Lyra on uh, on Coco Two. Unfortunately, it's grainy because I don't have a proper video capture card. So you're actually looking at it through my webcam. So I apologize ahead of time for the grainy, no, crappy. Fine. But anyway, let me switch uh, up a different microphone here. So you're really fancy there with your scroll on the bottom there in different colors and everything. <laughs> so right now the track we're hearing is called The Sounds of Silence. <laughs> well, Sorry about that, guys. For some reason, uh, my webcam doesn't uh, want to pick up the audio. Well, um, while you're doing that, Brian... So huh? it is. It, it is Lyra, not Lyra. I don't know why it, it looks like Lyra to me. I've heard it pronounced yeah. both ways, and I honestly yeah. don't remember how Cecil act, or Lester uh, Hands actually pronounced it at the show anymore. So I can't remember what the proper pronunciation is. Lyra, Lyra. Yeah, it's interesting. Lyra's Lyra sort of just lyrics, and and Lyra sort of you know the the lyre, the instrument, the stringed instrument, like I mean. Mm. You know, you know so, I was just thinking. That since like with the MS I mean, DOS, start they, doing that. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> um, Can so, you guys hear me all right? Yeah, we hear you, yeah, Brian. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, you might hear a little bit of an echo and all that, but yeah. No, this is uh, running on a uh, Coco Two okay. with a uh, mouse. Okay. The screen is just updated. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, on my video that I showed this off on, uh, uh, it automatically detects the, uh, that there's a, uh, a midi pack and that's what uh, sh already shows up. Otherwise it show a uh, cocoa uh, cereal. Okay. And that, so, okay. And just loading a song here. And this is coming off a of cocoa too. Yep, this is on a Coco 2. Which is impressive. In that. that. And uh, I've got, you know, several different songs here. Um, Billy Jean. Let's beat it a little bit. I'll beat it. There we go. I can go fire up the Fairlight and we can play the intro. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Nice lag. Yeah. Are you hearing that? Nope. No. It sounds great. No. It sounds great. It sounds <laughs> sounds like what, what's going on between David Ladd's ears right now. So. <laughs> the signal to noise ratio is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Very clean. Yeah. Who's right, confirming it's not right. working right, and I oh. don't know why. Well, while you, if you want, um, I can try to stall for time, Brian, and maybe I can just show people how to start. I, I've up. got it now. I've, I've, I, it was right. my mini patch. It's an inferior product. Take I've got your back. Yeah, I've got. That, that's the thing about with the. Uh, Where did Is it he coming go? through? Nope. Oh, wait, faintly. Very quietly. <laughs> now, you were also messing with your levels before the show, too. So you had music playing that we could hear, but we asked you to bring your level up before. Is that still... You got all your... Oh, it worked in rehearsal. Yeah. Beat it, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so anyway, it... It works. I, I generally don't use uh, Lyra myself. Um, I use uh, mostly uh, Ultramuse. And I'm, and one thing that I noticed, uh, Rob, is that mm -hmm. you said that the Coco can't do MIDI files off the Internet. I uh, beg not to all. differ. Not all. Not all. Not, um, this is according <laughs> to Bill Pierce. You, some you, of the you are both correct and mm -hmm. um, incorrect. You cannot... Okay really do unmodified uh that's right uh, midi files from off the internet um they need to be saved as a midi format zero mm -hmm. and um if you're going to use mf play you need to be sure that you yeah uh, you convert it ahead of time and you know i can i can you know just show that uh, you know that um on the coco 3 side of things so what keyboard what keyboard is stuff. uh what keyboard are we outputting to right now back there brian <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you did you say something, Steve? Yeah, I said what keyboard were you outputting to? Um, okay, there we go. Um, actually, my off my rack. Okay, so that's so that's that's a MIDI synthesizer in a box. There's no physical exactly, keys to yeah. that. Exactly. This yeah. is the TG300 by Yamaha. Okay. Uh, MU90R and then a TG33. The, these two here are General MIDI, the TG33. That is a uh, what is not General MIDI. It's what's known as an octobank hmm. setup, where you actually have eight banks of eight. Okay. Yeah, and so if you're not, and again, I'm no musician, but I have owned different things in the past like this. So if you're not familiar with the fact that a synthesizer 
is not necessarily going to have the keys like a piano. You can buy synthesizers that are just in a box, right? So basically a synthesizer is a chip or a series of chips that generates all the different instrument noises. So it is not uncommon to have, especially in the world of MIDI, to have certain synthesizers that are just boxes that have all the chips and stuff inside them. And then we just have our MIDI cables that go into those boxes that then trigger those instruments to play through there. Um, I've had a couple of different boxes and I've had some daughter boards that I used to plug into sound blaster cards. I've had some Korg, uh, synthesizers that were, that would actually plug right into my sound blaster card that had the MIDI synthesizer chip on it. So there's, uh, there's a lot of things that make up a synthesizer, but not all synthesizers have actual keyboards on them. Uh, yes. And that was actually how a speech system sold them. Cause I mean, back then keyboards are fairly expensive for a, a full MIDI synth. Yeah. <clears throat> so they had the option of just buying the synthesizer, like in a little box, like Brian has for like $70, whereas a keyboard version might cost several hundred. And the other thing too, when you're using MIDI to play songs, like a lot of 80s stuff was, was mostly MIDI. Um, and they play the, the, the MIDI file off a computer, whether it be an Amiga or you know, Coco or whatever it be. Um, I'm talking about studio systems, and, and you might have like 16 channels or more of instruments playing at the same time. And so to have that in keyboard instruments with, with, with keyboards and everything gets it chews up a lot of space really quickly, whereas with MIDI um, and, and running what they call modules, you could, you could have a whole setup of different synthesizers in one rack, run all your MIDI to that, and um, have a complex, intricate array of different sources of from different manufacturers that had the best sounds in certain areas and combine everything together to get what you want and i have a funny feeling that's what darren ottery will be uh, demonstrating on the next episode special so uh, i'm gonna ask yes. the i'm gonna ask the question and if the answer is too technical we can save it because we don't want this to be a deep dive today but i know midi has midi in and midi out right so on my computer if I want to control a synthesizer that's external to the computer, I would be going on the MIDI out from my computer to the MIDI in of that device. And by the same token, if I had a keyboard that I wanted to record notes into my computer, I would take the MIDI out from my keyboard to go to the MIDI in on my computer. So we're kind of crossing over the input and the output. So far, I'm, I'm speaking logically, right? Yep. Now, yep. I also yeah, noticed yeah. that a lot of a lot of devices also have what's called a MIDI through, which is kind of like a pass-through where you could potentially daisy chain more than one MIDI device, right? So some devices, and that's what Jim Brain's cartridge has, right? It has MIDI in, MIDI yes. out, and MIDI through. What I am curious of, and again, if the answer is too technical, I, I understand that there's a value for what instrument I want to play, and I understand there's a value for what note I want to play, and those are just basically numeric. But how would I say I want to play the grand piano um, instrument but I want to play it on an actual synthesizer that's three boxes down in my daisy chain. How do you specify a device? Is there a, basically a device ID that would go in front of the note ID? Where I, want, I could say I've got three different synths, and i got one synth that's really good for grand piano sounds. And I want to play all my grand pianos on that synthesizer box, but I want to play my organs on my other box because it's got good organ sounds. So there's a way to, through the MIDI in, out, and through, just to also specify which synthesizer... I want to play yeah. a certain thing on. I can take this if you want. Yeah, um, go ahead, Darren. Yeah, so, so and this, this relates to general MIDI as well. If you think about general MIDI, general MIDI is just a, uh, the equivalent of a virtual rack of external synthesizers. If you've got a room of synthesizers, well, that's what general MIDI is on a chip. It's, it's a bunch of synthesizers. So they're all using different MIDI channels. MIDI channel is the key. 
So if I go over to the synthesizer behind me, which let's say is Grand Piano, the one on the, the top is Grand Piano, and I set that synthesizer to receive on MIDI channel 8. Oh, so you assign a channel to, to the instrument. Correct, correct. You go and around all your instruments okay. and, you, and you change the MIDI, MIDI receive channel. Then when I play uh, out of the software, uh, anything that's on channel 8 will play on that instrument that's set to receive on channel 8. So you could record on channel 1 and then go into the software and change that track to be outputting on channel 8. Or you could set your play, your, the instrument that you're playing into the MIDI uh, recorder to be on channel 8 and therefore it would already take that MIDI stream as channel 8. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So, yep. Yeah. So, 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 so to use kind of like a SCSI uh, analogy, you're, you're assigning a device ID to a certain drive in the chain. Yeah, kind of, except, except MIDI is all about channels. You hear the number 16. There's 16 MIDI channels. Um, there's actually more. There's a way to get more than 16, but, but, but the, the vanilla platform has 16 channels. And uh, basically, because MIDI records everything that it hears, uh, it, it's designed to, if you record it on channel 2, it'll receive it as channel 2, and then it will play it back as channel 2 unless you change it. So, so it's sort of like, um, it's not really like SCSI, it's more like, um, it's just a built-in feature of the, of the way MIDI works, is a simple thing. So, so for example, when, in general MIDI, drums are always channel 10, and the idea was that if I wrote a general MIDI track and sent it to David and he played it back on his machine, it might not sound exactly the same, but it would be close, right? You, you know, the drums would come out on channel 10, and his device, if he's got a general MIDI device, would, would already be set up to, to play that back. So you might just do a bit of tweaking, but essentially get a, a very similar sounding song. A lot of the time people go on the internet and download a MIDI, MIDI file um, and they play it back and they go, wow, that's crazy. That doesn't even sound anything like, you know, the song that it's supposed to be. It's probably because all the MIDI channel numbers are all jumbled up. That would be a good place to start, assuming that the person who made it knew what they were doing. Right. So a lot of the time, you would just pull it apart and change the MIDI channels, and suddenly you'd have a nice sounding track. So does that mean? Was, let me ask you this: So does that mean all your instruments are kind of listening at the same time, and they're going to basically say, "Oh, he's wanting to play channel yeah, eight. I'm not on channel eight, so I'm going to ignore those notes and let him play." Yeah. Them? Think about think about a conductor in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the the instrument on channel eight is just waiting for its stream of MIDI data. It's it's hearing all the MIDI data but it's not going to play until, until it hears eight. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Uh, because I have never messed with more than one MIDI device at a time, my, my comprehension has been a direct one-to-one -one relationship where it's this keyboard or this box and this computer, yeah. and I was basically I had this thing doing everything on this thing. I've never had more than one thing to conceive yeah, before, yeah. so I was just trying to understand well, that. General MIDI is, is you, you kind of have been in a way, because general MIDI is exactly that. It's, it's, it's like 16 synthesizers sitting there okay. um, receiving different channel numbers. So it's really EDM one thing. like one general MIDI synth is like 16 synths. Yeah. Now, yeah, I the, have a question. Go oh. no. uh, Yeah, I was just going to say that workstations like my Yamaha SY77 and SY99, they have uh, they're what they call multi-timbral. And the, the general MIDI, like the, the, the Roland sound canvas and all the rest, they're what they call multi-timbral, which, which means they've got multiple synthesizers in the one box. 
Um, so say, for example, my SY77's got a sequencer built into it. It's got 16 tracks. Uh, it's got a drum track on the last track, and you, um, and you can sign any instrument to any particular um, track on the sequencer. But you can then control that from a Coco. You might tell the Coco to play, the, like, like Darren was saying, drums on channel 10, and then that might go out to a drum part on the SY77 or 99, but the, but the one synthesizer can play all the parts, basically, because it's because it'll be multi-timbral, which means it's got multiple synthesizers yeah. in the one box. Yeah, and Nick, Nick Morantes, you said you had a question? Ah, uh, yes. Now, just trying to understand what uh, about this MIDI through. Now, on the um, uh, MIDI card that Jim's got, it's got a MIDI, MIDI in, MIDI out. Okay, I can understand that. Uh, MIDI out goes directly to the synthesizer and MIDI in comes in from the synthesizer. How does the MIDI through works? I know it's a pass through, but I would have thought the pass through should be on the synthesizer. So you send out from the card, it goes to the synthesizer, then the synthesizer should have a through. How does the MIDI through work on the cartridge? Why why is there a through on the cartridge? For for MIDI in, so for, yeah so, yeah well that's right yeah. So but that's that that was the answer so. <clears throat> the MIDI out on the cartridge, um, you know, goes to let's take the simple example. You have a cartridge and you have the synthesizer. So MIDI out on the synthes or on the uh, cartridge goes to MIDI in on the synthesizer, and then there's also a MIDI through typically on synthesizers. So that signal would then go into the MIDI through signal on the synthesizer, and then could go out to another another device, and you can yeah. chain them along, right? Okay, <clears throat> the same that. the same is true on the on the on the cartridge itself if you think of the cartridge as something that's going to receive midi signals so the midi in on on the um so let's say you're playing the you're playing the synthesizer and you're trying to record notes on the on the coco but then you want to actually hear the notes on a on another synthesizer so so there's another oh, device. So the MIDI on through would go to like an output. <clears throat> that's right. Box. So that would where you, that's where you'd put that MIDI through, and you'd hook it over there, and then you, you know you'd hook it to that other synthesizer. The problem is, at the very beginning, and I realize I'm not speaking as authoritatively as the musicians on here, but from a technology perspective, a keyboard and a synthesizer were were at one point they were two different things. The keyboard was used to input the notes but it didn't play anything necessarily. And then there was another box which would actually produce the sounds and that was the synthesizer. But for years, everybody has only seen them packaged in one unit, right? Right, the, right, the, right, the, right. the keyboard has the synthesizer figured fit right in, the, in it as well. But technically that's how you think about it. And you have to think about them as two separate things. <clears throat> and then now just to note the, um, a bunch of the designs, I don't know if the original Glenside design did this, but um, a lot of the more contemporary designs, including this one, you can reassign the MIDI uh, through to be a second MIDI out. So you can, so if, if, um, if you want to send the same stream to two different synthesizers, let's say a, a keyboard and a drum machine, let's say, from, um, from the Coco, you have the option of in the cartridge you can change a jumper and then you have two MIDI out. Oh, you so know, you can two, kind of simulcast MIDI. the uh, output. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because because not every not every MIDI device. I mean, I, I assume if you're a if you're a um, 
somebody that does MIDI a lot, you probably have ways to split and, and daisy chain MIDI devices, but a kind of a poor man's way of doing that if you just have two devices and they don't have MIDI through ports on them is you could use that second, that MIDI through port as a second MIDI out. I was just going to say the other thing that second port does is that you could actually get uh, in the software, you could set it up as port B and therefore now you've got 32 MIDI channels. So that was, that's the answer to my next question. I was going to ask: uh, Are they two separate outputs, or are they basically parallel software, outputs? Software dependent. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. The other thing I think it allows too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that um, you could actually have like playing keyboard. Let's say you bought a really cheap synth with pretty crappy built-in sounds, but has a keyboard on it. You could actually use the MIDI in to record off the keyboard and simultaneously send it through the MIDI through to another synth yeah. to play it. With, with That's what I used to do, because I, 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 I had a crappy Casio keyboard where its instrument sucked, but it was MIDI, so I used the keys as my input controller, and I was playing to my Korg on my uh, PC. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, un the only thing with MIDI through to understand, too, is that there's a delay. So yeah. uh, it's, very small, it's a small delay, but in, in the world of MIDI, um, I would probably not go more than two or three steps through the through port before I'd expect to um, you wouldn't hear the delay as a as a real delay you just kind of think oh it's just not in time it's not quite in time it's we're talking about milliseconds but, mm -hmm. but you know by the time you get to the third or fourth device you can start to really um, feel it and you can and it'll ruin your groove so you you kind of use a MIDI splitter instead to kind of send off uh, in parallel gotcha gotcha I would say as a I mean from a technology perspective, that is, I can't argue that that may indeed be true. On this and on this interface, at least, there's no delay on the MIDI through port because yeah. it is it is exactly what you're describing. It's a it's a MIDI splitter essentially inside yeah. the box, so yeah. there's no delay there. But yeah, a lot of them would do kind of a store and forward. Oh, I read a byte from the data stream. Oh, I need to send it out the other side. Well, the time it took to read it and then send it would be the delay in some devices through uh, MIDI through uh, a channel. Yeah, it's in a lot the of, other lot thing of that happens, The other thing that happens too with the uh, a lot of <coughs> MIDI through, it's not so, it, it, it might not necessarily be the actual delay from actual processing of the MIDI data, but what can happen, they usually use an optocoupler to couple the, the output so that they're isolated, but still got the same data on them. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, you can have, it, it, it's, it can even just be the delay of the electronics themselves. If you start daisy chaining them enough, even if they're supposed to be direct copies, you like Darren said, you do notice it. And it's especially if you're playing fast solos and things like that, it just doesn't feel right. You think, did I play mm. that really that loosely? Could it even be like a resistance delay if you got all through all the cabling going it, through all these things? It, well, it, it would. You, you know, cable through through cable is a fraction of the speed of light, and you're right. There is a there is an optocoupler in each one of the MIDI devices because that's part of the standard. So mm. definitely, if you go, I, I'm just I'm saying it depends on how the MIDI through is implemented. Two devices might be okay, but yeah, if you got 20 devices in your, well, 16 I guess, so you have 16 devices in one chain and each one's assigned to a different channel, um, my assumption is, is that if you've got enough um, uh, interest to have 16 different devices to play MIDI, then you probably have a MIDI splitter. Is that like David Ladd in the 16-slot MPI <laughs> right, at this yeah, point? So, yeah. <laughs> and an unhappy wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. want to hear some more music. Who's got some music we can hear? 
Well, Stevie, if you want to go to my um, screen for a second, I'm just showing how the MIDI channels are broken out in okay. uh, Ultimuse. All right, please um, do, Rob Ian. Yeah, just just a visual. Um, again, uh, Brian would have to comment on this because this is you know my third time using Ultimuse, but you can see the 16 channels there, and um, you know you would you would assign those to different channels, uh, different parts, different channels, and then Bill Pierce has said he he plans on increasing that to 32. Interesting. So the neat thing about a program like this that gives you the musical staffs is even if you didn't know how to play, if you, you could transcribe music. You could take a, a sheet music like mm -hmm. in a book because there's plenty of books of sheet music, and you could transcribe music from a printed page to your computer and get the notes in the right spot and, and you know, hand note these these things and then play it back. And I think, Brian Schubert, you've actually done that, haven't you? Haven't you transcribed lots of music into it through here? Uh, I I done a, quite a bit with through uh, Ultramuse and that uh, I've I've taken some songs from just straight sheet music um, yeah. and uh, scribed it in and that and the piece that's showing right now is uh, um, was done by uh, Mike Carey out, out of Tennessee and he actually moused it in by from memory Stars and Stripes Forever all the bits and pieces and all that. And this is one of the ones you play at, at Cocoa Fest and stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. When Once the anthems get played, then yes. Then I, then I play that. Now, here I can see um, eight ports, nine. Okay, there's my 16 ports, although the G, I'm not sure what the hell the G is. Cause isn't, uh, yep. Right. Six. Oh, because we're not starting on zero. I'm thinking in hexadecimals, zero, yeah, through, zero through nine, eight through F. I'm like, where the hell is the G? All right. All right, I'm caught up. Um, now, where do you say I want instrument 12 to be in channel one or whatever? I have no idea. <laughs> right there. Correct. Okay, so the, the numbers to the right MIDI of there. Okay, so that's MIDI channel. So the plus one is what channel it's in. So port one is on channel one and D is on channel one. So right now, most of these are playing some variation of a piano. Yeah. Okay. I just changed the channel from okay. D to 5. Okay. I'm not sure which stream we're actually showing on the stream right now, Rob's or, or Brian's. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, showing, I'm showing Rob's right now, full screen. Okay. Okay. So okay. The, you know, before, if you're waiting, if you want to order Jim's pack and you don't, you can figure out, uh, you know, how to use DriveWire Ultimus does, does support DriveWire. Talk to Mikey or DriveWire expert. Uh, but since we're on the screen, I'll just show you that if you go into modes, mm -hmm. um, this is this is what you want. You want to you want to unselect slash MIDI, mm -hmm. and you want to select MIDI pack if you have Jim Brains okay. product. If you don't have Jim Brains product and you're using the Bitbanger, you select rear serial. Okay. So are you going to be able? I know you're showing us right now, but can you actually play something right now from here I too, can. so we can hear it? If I share, I have to share system sound. I think here, uh, share screen, share computer sound. Uh, so we're on. looking at we're looking at Ultimuse now, are we? Or, um, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we selected our MIDI pack. Yes. And uh, I'm going to change this channel back to one because I don't know what, what it did. Um, 
And, uh, you know, if you get some files uh, loaded into ease of use, I don't know if there's files already there, but you'll be able to, to click on files and read score file. You'll have a bunch of options. I'm certainly hoping to, to <laughs> beat me. What the hell is beat me? <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> well, most of them are kind of old timey tracks, but okay. if I click on beat me, uh, it's just telling me if we're in a different version. It does tells you that every every single uh, one you load. Uh, it's saying beat me, daddy, eight to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this yeah, is, a, I'm intrigued. Okay. Hopefully the, the song lives <laughs> up to the title. Bit, bit of trivia there. The person that keyed that in, Alan Day, just used to run the uh, Cocoa Fest in Atlanta. Oh, there you go. A.R. Dages. The yeah, Yamaha. There's, there you go. Um, so let's hear it. Just before, before we hit play, um, you know, this, you can use these uh, arrow keys and obviously... You can scroll through it. So it scrolls a page at a time and not like a uh, staff at a time, huh? That's right. Okay. Or a note at a time. There we go. Beat me, Daddy. I've been naughty. <laughs> Are you hearing anything? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Is it loud enough? Yeah, crank it up a little bit. Yeah, I can do that. It's got a boogie woogie feel to it, yeah. It's a 12 up Lucy. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, uh, I don't know how to crank it up, but that's anyway, fine. You no, can we hear it. We hear it. Obviously, yeah. You can change sisters. that. That's Brian's got some change. demos I'm sure he can crank up, so. You can change it to. Um, Sex and muscle. Cars and just the volume. Change it to organs. You can, you can select a performance and see what that does. So what are you playing that off there, Rob? What's what's the module? This is the Yamaha MX88 uh, synth. Pretty. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, you said that earlier. So yeah, you're yeah. just changing the instruments on your actual keyboard yep. right now, right? Yep. Yep, and you can do that from within Ultimates too. So you can. That's changed. Cool. Neat. And of course, you know, you can just hit clear, um, and then just hit uh, break. Ah. Anytime you want to stop, it's waiting for the break. Now you're just showing off. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of showing else. off, Brian, I'm sure, has got some demos to do, too. All right, Brian. Yeah, I'm here. I've been listening to that. and sounds good, Rob. And that. And Blow us um, away, man. I want my ears to bleed, Music Man. Come on, crank it up. You want Come your on. ears to bleed, Yeah, huh? man. Play some Skinner, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, Free Bird. Free Bird. That's Star Stripes Forever, of course, and uh, um, and this shows a complexity. I mean, you've got all sixteen channels running. You've got the percussion staff on there showing, you know, the, just oh, the yeah. drum tracks and yeah. It's I, I got he Mike Carey mouse this all in, and he's got. Uh, let's go to the instrument table here, and uh, he originally set it up for the MT thirty two. I went through and repatched it ah. to um, to work with the uh, TG33 because it has uh, nicer sounds. Okay, in my opinion, a little bit uh, you know 
for the orchestral instruments and such. And uh, one of the things that you notice that in front of all that, you see a zero. It's actually the letter O. Um, they look both the same in uh, on all instruments and that. And it's, just, it's uh, for an, a device that has an octal bass instrument, you know, for bank and such. You have to uh, in Ultramuse proceed the it with the letter O so that Ultramuse knows that it's actually an octal bass so that it knows that bank three instrument five bank seven instrument two mm. and that so that's that's how uh, Yamaha set up uh, or actually several different uh, instruments uh, had it set up with that used the octal um, uh, scheme for the instruments and such. So I wanted to point that out for someone who does uh, want to use uh, an older synthesizer in that that uses an octal bank um, uh, scheme in that. And I think there's one or two other ways for identifying uh, other odd banks and such, but some of them are a little bit weird and you actually have to use uh, sysx commands to actually switch banks, which is a bit exotic and uh, <laughs> not very logical, but uh, you can. So, was that so? Ultimate, so Ultimate works. It, it does record and play and edit SysX as well. Um, it does not record. This oh, is okay. a music editor. I can go around and just make sure. Go out. I can pick up a note. Place it if it ever locks in on on, on one of the lines. Ah. <laughs> it's not working, but you can. But um, you can actually take. I know for a fact I can't do. This. You can take and split a note. You should, you're supposed to be able to split a note. Uh, I have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, computers are fun. Yeah, but but yeah, you can you can go through and you can uh, take and edit notes and you know actually mouse it in, you know from a, a piece of uh, score, in that. So uh, Ulti so Ulti Ultimus is basically a um, a score editor and player. Then. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like a composer. Yeah, I, it's not a recorder. It, it's more of a composer. Exactly. It, it's yeah. a composer. That is absolutely correct. Um, so you do something like Coco Mini Pro if you wanted to record mm -hmm. SysX or something in real time. Yeah. All right. Let me check here. General MIDI 1.5. Change my MIDI patch. There we go. And, um, you know, I've got a whole bunch. All of the songs here, this is actually MIDI box. This is just a front end that I wrote mm -hmm. that um, for MF play. You, I don't know if you can really read it right up here. Yeah, ACDC, TNT, and American yeah, Woman, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah MF Play um, was written in, uh, st he started it in 88, but uh, finished up in 91. By Paul Senora, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And he came up with a scheme that um, actually uses a, a modified format of a MIDI file. It compresses, compacts, removes all the extra bits and bytes that aren't needed to play a score in that. And so you start with the um, a MIDI file from off the internet. 
you need to make sure that it's saved as a MIDI format zero format. And then if you have uh, like Cakewalk, Sonar, whatever, something like that, you can actually tweak it up a little bit. And as long as you save it as a format zero, you can then go on the Cocoa. You can move it over to the Cocoa onto a uh, disk image and such and just convert it to a CMF zero format, which is a compact MIDI format zero. And um, you come out with uh, the, all these different songs. And all this is just a list of all the different songs I just simply can tag and play. So Can you, can you play Respect by uh, Aretha? I uh, certainly can. What yeah. you want, baby, I got it. What you need. That's right. I got a lot. <laughs> all I'm asking for. Just a little respect, baby. Okay. Just so a little respect? bit. Okay, a little respect. Okay, Just a I little bit. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, and so we're going to just play that right off. <laughs> Motherfucker. You know I got it. <laughs> All worry, I'm asking is the, the music sounds great, but the voice synthesis is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Someone really needs to just uh, a little bit that, uh, vocal track. Just Where's the speech sound pack when we need it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You what can you really want. hear that. Uh, speech sound pack trying to sing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's that's all we need. We need to synthesize that next, right? So. <laughs> Oh, so do that. <laughs> that was playing off your. That was playing your, the instruments on your equipment. Yeah, that that was uh, pl actually playing the music off the uh, MU90R. Wow. I actually, I actually have uh, the nice thing with that. It's actually two synthesizers in one box, so it's actually a 32-channel unit based oh. off of two banks of 16 channels. And just just as a uh, just to recollect uh, recollection here, we are using the MIDI Maestro uh, created yes, by Retro we Innovations. Are. We are using the MIDI Maestro. I'm using my old um, pack. That that uh, MIDI Maestro uh, comes from uh, Jim Brain Enterprises, right? So that was oh the yeah, oh yeah, Retro Jim, Innovations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now he did an outstanding <laughs> job. It's. That, did More specific than uh, in timing wise than uh, the older packs because the uh, design. Check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Brian, were yeah. you were you influential in the in the what Jim ended up releasing? Did you have any input on that based on the original design and feature requests and stuff? Uh, yeah, I was um, actually thinking about redoing the pack again. You know that I had done for the club. Mm -hmm. And um, what I was looking for was the schematic because I couldn't find it. And I finally got it. And it was sent to me uh, through the Internet, I think through, through Facebook. And Jim got a hold of it. And he sent me the schematics and says, and whatnot. And I says, Jim, let's run with it and you have fun. So we just uh, collaborated and um did uh, some discussion saying, well, we could, you know, go with, he said, more modern parts to make it more reliable, also a little more cost effective. And one of the uh, key aspects of the original MIDI pack is that it was using um, a couple inverters 
gates to create the oscillator for the clock. And you have a couple of resistors, a capacitor to set up the timing. That can be fairly precise. And, you know, when you count it down and stuff, you know, from off of a, with using a crystal. Um, but it was uh, decided that it may be more beneficial to do away with that and go with the actual clock module um, and replace that part of the circuit with that. And that really... I think uh, helped a lot because some of the pieces that I was playing before that were real, real busy mm-hmm. actually seemed more spot on okay. and, that, and, and such. So it's, that's the one nice thing with, with the MIDI pack and, you know, also the way that he did the MIDI through the other MIDI packs had in out and through and that as an option. But they weren't able to select, well, you can have two MIDI out instead of a MIDI through and that. So that's, that, that's one of the things that uh, Jim did, and which really makes a lot of sense. You know, when I think of Jim Brain, I think of the Copacabana. Do you think you could play a little bit of that? <laughs> <laughs> I've got something else for you instead. Okay. <laughs> got your this Copacabana is, this, is right your, this is your junkie guitar sound here. Okay, let's hear it. That sounds like a pretty good acoustic. Uh, yeah. 12 now, who strength? knows the song? Classical gas. Classical gas. Classical gas. Exactly. And it does start to rock. This sounds a little better than the original four-voice Coco version of this that we <laughs> got. Yeah, just a little. How much it's percussion sounds on it for sure? have a, a member of our panel that would probably appreciate this. Any way you could maybe play some Down Under? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that, that, yeah, almost, that almost needed to be segued into Chariots of Fire there, but yeah, uh, <laughs> down, down Under is just as good. Crikey! The Vegemite song. Uh, yes. You just smiled. Give me a piece. You gave me a Vegemite sandwich. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Got any rock he house? said, you come from a land down under. <laughs> nice one, Nick. How's that coming through? Good. Oh, this reminds me of that commercial for Radio Shack in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it is too, just like a, the Donut Dilemma commercial. Took me in and made my breakfast. Uh, available at lcurtisboyle.com. Yeah. Well, Beta 6 isn't quite available for the public yet. You guys have some preview versions. <laughs> beta 5. Yeah, it's, you, you got some good sounding synths there, music man. Yeah. Yep. yeah. 
That's Nick. not bad at all. I, I have one question for Jim Brain. Jim's yeah. still there. Here he comes. Um, I noticed on the slideshow you're showing, yeah. you're showing the uh, MIDI uh, um, the board plugged into a red cartridge at the moment, but yeah. you've also got pictures of it plugged into a FD502 case. So does your MIDI board fit into a Coco SDC case? You know, you can, you can download um, files to do your own <coughs> Coco SDC cartridge uh, on a on a, uh, a 3D printer. So yeah, it does does the board fit in, in, in a Coco SDC uh, style case? It would be a little bit short, but if you didn't have the back on it, then you could plug it in. Um, but I do think you could remix the Coco SDC. As you said, it's it, it fits in the case. Um, so the case just needs to be made just slightly shorter. So, but if it's a 3D print, then that should be pretty easy. Just kind of slide the back of the case a little bit closer and then open up the three little holes and you should have a case. Um, I mean, obviously there's some folks um, that are in the community that, that do 3D printed cases and it, it should, it's, I'm sure is an easy, is an easy change to the existing 3D print uh, files yeah. in order to do it. So yeah, but I, I, I did want to make sure that it would fit in there. So it, um, it does, it's a little, the, the Coco SD case is a little bit too long, but could be easily fixed. Okay, cool. I might try that when I get my uh, MIDI pack. And what what's the inventory right right now like? If people want to buy this today, you have some ready to ship. I make them up. Bit. I make them up as I um, as they get orders in because the volume's been a little low right now. So um, it takes me usually about a week or so to solder them up. I do them in batches. So if there was, I mean, if there was a bunch of orders that came in, then I can I can do it in short order. I've got all the parts here. It's just a matter of soldering okay. them up. Okay. Do you have them available as a kit? I do. I do. I have them available as a kit, a finished unit, and then a finished unit with a case. Okay. What are, what are the prices on the, on the variations? Yeah. Do you, I, see, that's the one thing I should have looked <laughs> up. Sorry. Um, uh, let me look real quick here. Uh, I'm personal friends with the guy who developed this. Would you like me Top to put you in touch with him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So... Um, let me grab the thing here. So the so you can buy it actually four ways. You can get the PCB yourself and find all the parts yourself. Um, that's five dollars. The kit itself is forty-five. Assembled unit sixty, and the assembled unit in a case is seventy-five. Okay. So now, if so, assembly obviously that involves surface mount assembly as well, or is it just the through hole? No, it's all through hole. Oh, okay. I'm just yeah. I'm looking at it and say, oh, yeah. I'm gonna get a tiny little. Oh, so the whole lot's through hole. Okay. No, all of it's too through easy. Hole. Is there any easy. is there any ROM on this cartridge at all? No, there's not. There. Um, I do have another version of the cartridge um, that offers a ROM capability. As yet, I wasn't aware of anything that makes sense to load into the ROM that that would be appropriate for the for the MIDI cartridge. But if that if that changes in the future, then definitely um, that could be added. It's pretty easy to Real add. time clock. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I was just thinking, kind of like, you know, the Orchestra 90 kind of boots up into yep. something that could take advantage of it. If you had some real simple 
yep. um, MIDI controller software built into it that was Coco One Two Three compatible that somebody could literally plug a, uh, an, a keyboard controller in and a synthesizer out and start playing it through this device. That might be kind of neat. But I don't know if that's that important because if you're going to do that, you're going to run it through your computer anyway. So, well, if you're, I mean, the, the key there is what I ran into challenge of is okay. So this primarily would be used as a MIDI kind of out. So you'd be you'd be processing some sort of computer file and then you would be sending it out to a synthesizer. And the challenge is the ROM would be able to provide the program to do that, but then you'd still have to have some sort of device in order to load the file necessary mm-hmm. to put it, unless you were going to use the actual. Coco as the keyboard, but I highly doubt that somebody would do that if right, if they right. have a regular piano keyboard sitting nearby. Well, so let me ask you this: I don't know enough about MIDI, but is this thing? It would this be smart? And I guess you wouldn't even need this because if you had a if you had a MIDI controller, you could just take a cable and plug that straight into the MIDI synth and bypass this. But could this? kind of passively work even without software on the Coco if somebody wanted to plug their controller into this and then have it go out to uh, the synthesizer brain box would this still work without any software running on the Coco is, is you know as a serial you do, if you if you use mini through it is mini through okay yeah but there's really no there, there, there's there's no there's no point that's just yeah. yeah okay now mind you if you know one of the things that I thought about is if um, a version of the cartridge that would have some sort of audio production capability on it so um some sort of audio ics or whatnot um now that might make sense because then you know a rom may also make sense in that case because then you could put a rom on there which is a receiver right and then um and then you turn on the coco and you you'd plug the cartridge in or sorry plug cartridge in turn on the coco <clears throat> and then have some speakers plugged into the coco and then uh, from a keyboard you'd send um commands or media commands to the cartridge and then the cartridge could reproduce um like chiptune type music right so at that point your coco becomes the synth and you just use a keyboard controller to play the synth. correct correct there's a possibility that some of the um you know some like i know nick morantes has made some three voice um sound capabilities and and nick and i may want to talk because there's a possibility that we could create a program that would just use the six bit DAC to provide sound, maybe some interesting sound or whatnot. Um, and that may be useful as a, as just a device for, for, you know, for a performance, there's definitely, you know, there's in, in certain cases, I, I, not for the cocoa, but, um, in some of the other products that I deliver, there's actually some, I wouldn't call them pro pro, but kind of pro am, musicians that do shows and they do live shows with um <clears throat> with a you know classic computer hooked up to their um production environment which is midi controlled and for some of their songs the computer is set to be one of the instruments mm-hmm. and a lot of people come to listen to those shows kind of an 80s vibe yeah. uh, like you mentioned earlier kind of a crunchy sound yeah and then they you know they try to do kind of weird things with the with the instrument sometimes they've written their own mute sometimes they've written their own um, software that runs on the computer that does really interesting things and makes interesting sound types and whatnot that you can't get from a regular synthesizer and then they incorporate that incorporate that into their um, into their performance <clears throat> so that's possible if there's a way to make some unique sounds on the coco just with the unit itself then this could be a, seen as an instrument in which case you would plug the 
synthesizer that you're using into the MIDI in, and then you'd play music, and it would sh- it would output on the Coco. Could you um could you, you add a patch patch to Basic to add a MIDI command, a bit like the play command in Extended Color Basic? Yeah, you you actually bring up that actually would make sense. I didn't think about that before we put the unit in production, and it was kind of important to get it get it out there. But <clears throat> that would probably make sense to provide some sort of extension to do you know M play or or play M or something like that, and then like the play command, you you type in the um, the notes and whatever and the and the amount of time you want to play them and then instead of playing it, it through the DAC you it actually creates and sends MIDI uh, commands out the the um, the cartridge and whatnot and uh, off to a synthesizer to do that so yeah that's definitely um, an, a nice idea that would make a ROM worthwhile. Hmm. Another question too with with that uh, the MIDI through being able to be assigned. As a, as a second MIDI out, mm-hmm. say, for example, I had a, 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 a keyboard controller plugged into the MIDI in mm-hmm. um, and then another synth plugged into, say, the MIDI through, mm-hmm. and I was using something like Coco MIDI Pro to, to record the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when I'm, obviously, when I'm recording the performance, I want the MIDI through to act as a MIDI through so that, the, so that the, whatever synth is plugged in will be played from the keyboard controller. Right. Is it possible then to switch that MIDI through to a MIDI out in software so that then what I've recorded, I can then get that to play out that out, out that port without having to change ports? Not on this version of the unit, but that's a cool idea. And if you and I want to, you know, kind of work through that, I can I can add that in to a future version of it. Yeah, we, cool. we we have a question in the live chat about the um, the case. Yeah. Uh, well, Michael Pitsley was asking, but you mentioned there's four ways to buy it. You can buy it fully assembled with a case and it is the um it is that injection molded red cartridge right so it is a physical cartridge that's, that's right yeah and, yep. and by the way you know for those in the in the live chat if there were uh questions you guys had for our various midi know-it-alls please be sure to throw out those questions too we'll try to address those now i i mean i know i'm kind of eating this up and i you know i know enough to be dangerous about midi i've played with it i i know the I know the scratching of the surface of what MIDI can do using a uh, you know piano type keyboard to play using various computers and synthesizers and brain boxes to 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 synthesize the different instrument sounds and then the beauty is kind of this multi-track recording concept so you know if you were ever in a band back in the day and everybody had instruments you had to figure out well how can we rec- how can we record all of our different instruments and you had to get like four track recorders and all these different things to record all your different stuff if you're trying to mix something with midi you kind of have a multi-channel mixing capability through software where you can and 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 at, with general MIDI, the limitation was sixteen unique instruments. But you could have more than one copy of like instrument one, for example. You could have two tracks playing two different melody lines, both in pianos, right? I mean, the, depending on the software, because I know I've done that with drum tracks and percussion, where I would have multiple because I was performing them. But I would do like this the uh, the kick and the snare and one track, and then I'd go back through and put in some fills and some crashes later on, and I would layer up multiple tracks of just percussion. In software, but this is of course on a you know Windows-based system. But I'm assuming even in our Cocoa software, you could have multiple tracks of the same instrument in there. Is that a true statement? Yes. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So there's some r- really neat things you can do with MIDI, and um, 
Uh, we kind of take it for granted now because we have these soft synths, like Windows has a built-in MIDI, general MIDI synthesizer that's being done through software. So you can plug in a, and nowadays too, in a modern computer, isn't a lot of MIDI implemented through USB where you, we don't even, I remember when I first had a MIDI, I had to get the adapter to plug into the 15 pin joystick connector on the back of my sound blaster card. And then it had the MIDI in and out, the dins that came off of that. Is MIDI still pretty much doing dins or is like modern MIDI doing more USB or is it kind of a combination of all the above? Yeah, both. both really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so MIDI, MIDI over USB tends to be a little sort of it, – it, it can be really good if the drivers are written properly, but it can also be very – five-pin standard MIDI DIN is better timing-wise, most people sort of generally yeah. recognize. But USB is handy because it's USB ports on every computer. And right, you know, if you right. just want to transfer files or trans, you, can, you can save patch data from a synth and a whole lot of things that are not as uh, fussy timing-wise, you can do that over USB, no problem. Darren, is that kind of what you've been finding too? Because you, you do this probably more than anybody of us. Yeah, um, I, I do both. I, so I've got a controller keyboard which sits in front of my computer which is connected via um, USB MIDI. Um, but but that's, that's just my, my input device and then output comes out of the, um, the MIDI pack and then into my rig via the 5-pin um, daisy chain through all of the instruments. That's that's sort of how I do it. Yeah. Have you find that, have you found USB timing versus 5-pin timing? Have you noticed anything different there? Exactly as you said, David. It all comes down to those drivers. So, yeah, it, it, it's glitchy until you get you know, you, you you've got to you've got to fine tune the driver and get it working properly. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Interesting. Because I think you could even, if you have like a Mac and you've got GarageBand, you could plug in a USB keyboard controller and and have GarageBand act as your software-based synthesizer too. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, doing MIDI now on a modern system, it's it's so easy to do. It's so easy to take for granted. But doing it on a vintage system, there's just not only is there just something cool about the fact that this was all bleeding edge at the time it was happening, but it's cool that we can. To me, it's really cool. Not that I would do it. I'm I'm not gonna use a cocoa to play midi but the fact that it can is cool you know um you know if i was going to dabble in midi again now i would do the quick and easy path i would get a cheap usb keyboard and run it through a pc (laughs) you know just because i would just be (laughs) tinkering around i'm not gonna be doing anything heavy but the fact that you got all you guys here with your real keyboards and you're plugging them into cocos and the cocos are driving all of this it's impressive. Like I say, it's really easy to take it to take for granted when you like they're doing it on iPads now. You know what I mean? So I saw everybody in the live chat saying, "Yeah, I'm running my whole church from my iPad." You know, so modern <laughs> technology kind of takes away the mysticism and the cool factor of what MIDI is when you're doing it on old keyboards and old computers controlling and stuff. To me, that's just kind of super cool. You know, there's a there's a lot of talk about latency. You know, in on modern systems. You know, and yeah. and the I mean, that's because it's very um, there's a lot of features. It's a lot that you know. There's a lot more going on. But um, I've been using the MIDI Maestro and pushing it real hard with the Coco, and it works really well. Um, and I, I just have this feeling it's that, that when you when you uh, when you've got a workflow that comes out of the Coco and into the Coco through basic MIDI, it, it it feels like you're very close to the instrument. Like it's there's no lag. There's no latency. It works. Mm-hmm. flawlessly every time you, you i never have that thing where i've got to reboot my mac or and mm. it's, it's really cool <laughs> that's it that's that's interesting it almost seems counter 
logic here to where an old system works more precisely and more reliably than the new systems. You would think it would be yeah. the opposite. But, well, Dave, uh, Dave was talking about sequences before. Yeah. And um, Coco MIDI Pro on a on a Coco is just like an old vintage sequencer. You know, it, it just you you drop it in record, you play into it, it's there. You quantize it, which is the the word for, you know, it, that that pulls all the notes together and puts them in into precise time. So it so okay. it sounds like you're playing in time, and you play it back, and it and it's and it's a really fast, quick process. Hmm. Really good. It's going to be really interesting to try. Like you said there, Darren, it's. Modern systems, Windows and everything, have got a whole ton of things going on in the background, and they've got to process mm. this and process it. And, then, oh, yeah, and Windows is written to do all sort of multitasking and everything. Whereas if you're running a, a dedicated MIDI program on a Coco, it's just doing one thing. Except right. If, except right. If you're so it's kind of like writing an assembly. You're, it's more bare metal. You're talking to the yeah. hardware more real time. Uh, yeah. 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 So I'm going to drag my Coco. Sorry, go, Dave. Yeah, I was just going to say, Darren, the interesting thing I was going to mention that you mentioned there is the timing being so tight. Like in the early days, the Amigas were known for their tight timing and everything as well. Um, but a really good test for it, my Roland V-Drums kit spits out tons and tons of data. Like when I'm playing the V-Drums kit, it's, it, it's spitting out MIDI data for all the everything on the, on the drums, basically electronic drums. But if I'm playing the hi-hat controller, it's a continuous controller. And as you move your foot on it, it's spent its... It spits out a huge big load of, of MIDI data, which is good for testing systems and finding out whether they're going to fall over with a lot of MIDI data. So I'm going to give Coco MIDI Pro a, 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 a run with my V-Drums kit and just see how well it reports in real time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I go, as, soon as, um, as soon as we're allowed to go back to playing live music in venues, uh, I play in a cover band too, and I'm going to drag the Coco out and, um, you know, add Blue Monday to, the, to our live set. Awesome. So, That's really cool. So, That's awesome. so I'll use I'll use it to play um, uh, the drums and the bass, and we'll we'll do everything else over the top. And um, That's cool. it'll be cool to see some footage because we always record our gigs. It'll be cool to see the the Coco Three sitting on top of the. Absolutely. It'll be like watching right, Revenge right. of the Nerds again. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need a guitar yeah. strap for my Coco. Oh. <laughs> cool. Uh, hey, cool. That's cool. Kind of thinking about this question. now. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian Weasler. Kind of. So if. If Nick knew the bare minimum that was needed to generate the data for a MIDI stream, could could Nick incorporate that, let's say, into his most recent game that uh, uh, Rally SG there, Rally SG. and ha and have the and basically like plug a MIDI into it? That could be the background music as you're playing the uh, playing the game. Could that is there that much overhead with MIDI that if he just had the bare minimum to play notes? It, actually, it's far less do overhead it. doing yeah. MIDI than it is doing digitized sound. So, yeah. 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 Definitely now, convincing possible. Nick to actually do that's a whole difference. So, <laughs> so, so, the re so the reality now, now just to, is Jim Brain still here? I mean, essentially, because yeah. you, you, Darren had asked earlier, could we do something in basic? I mean, mm -hmm, essentially, right. we're just poking data into a, a memory location <laughs> somewhere to talk to these input and output ports, right? Like peeking and poking from <clears throat> memory locations? Perfect. Correct. It is exactly it. So, in order to do basic, I can. I'll, I'll see if after the um, show I can whip up some simple basic to do it. But um, you have a couple pokes up front to set up the the UART, the okay. the, the the chip, and then <clears throat> sending um, MIDI commands is very easy. So <clears throat> the only things you need to know is the is um, uh, the hexadecimal number eighty and ninety. Right, so 
80 is note is uh, key down and 90 is key up. And the zero in that is the channel. So 90 is key up on channel zero, 91 would be key up on channel one and so forth. Key up and meaning the key, is, the key has been released, the key is going that's back right. up the key and key been down. Released. Right. Okay. That's right. And then, and then there's a second value after that. So you send, so the, the MIDI, the standard MIDI uh, command is two bytes. The first byte is what you want to do, key up or key down. And then the second part of that is what channel do you want to use, zero through F, right? Zero through 15. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the second value is the, the note, right? The note itself. So, so it's key down, channel zero, you know, 100, which would be whatever note 100 is. And, and MIDI has a, a mapping for all the, the mm-hmm. 255 notes, right? <clears throat> so whatever C, whatever middle C is. Um, and then the only thing you have to do is just, you just do those in, in pairs, right? Note down, what's the note? Note up, what's the note? And so you just do that. So you can play and complete playing a note on a keyboard by sending four bytes to the MIDI cartridge. Two of them will be you send when you wanna when you wanna start the note, and two of them you send when you want to release and, and quit playing the note. Now, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch of other stuff, pitch bend and mm-hmm. and all kinds of other stuff. But <clears throat> but at the heart of it, that's all you need. And you're right, you just poke a value to one of the registers, and that sends them that sends that value on its way to the MIDI system. So in basic, you might have to play a slower song if you're trying to do like multi notes at the same time to try to keep the timing right. But yeah, you know, a couple of notes or a couple of voices at once and and longer notes like quarter notes, eighth notes shouldn't be a problem in basic. Yeah, I would say, I mean, there is people have to figure out, you know, how because at some point the ability to send the data out will will overcome. But but still, even even with basic, you know, sending a note um, is something that I think basic can do probably a couple thousand times a second. So I think if you weren't doing too much else, you could you could probably do at least a half dozen um, uh, instruments at probably eighth notes at the very at the very shortest. Or I mean, for sure, you could do eighth notes. I don't know if you could do sixteenth, but <clears throat> but I think eighth notes would be due as long as your tempo isn't terribly. Okay. What would what would be better is to uh, since the basic is in RAM on the Coco Three patch the play command so it's actually is sending to the midi port so you use the play command play abc would go to the midi port yeah yeah you could definitely do that absolutely yeah, you just have to patch it to allow multiple multiple channels yeah or you can yeah. extend on the command itself if you want yeah yeah because <coughs> there's also things like volume and, and stuff too so yeah there, there oh, yeah, is there is but that's also that's also just a two-byte command. You know, mm, yeah. here's the command, and then what's the volume level you want? But, but I guess my my point, yes, all those things are possible. It's a doable in basic, and yeah, there's probably a, an upper limit to how much you can do in basic. But to the original requester question, it is very very simple to send a properly formatted MIDI um, command through the cartridge from basic. Yeah, and you you can't imagine how 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 valuable that would be. Like that, that not just to write s- some simple music, but actually to control a whole studio from your Coco. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. So it's it, it it could almost be where Nick could have the music code in his game running, and whether or not the cartridge is there, it wouldn't matter because it's not going to make the game crash. It's just that there was something there to listen to those 
um, those note values that would pick up that information and play it, but if it's not there, it wouldn't matter. Um, Correct. Because yeah. we're almost literally the... Lyra is a COM program, and just like any COM program, you can write the bytes out in BASIC and accomplish the same thing. It's just much more convenient to have a COM program to organize your thoughts, do the volumes and pitches and blends and things. But hey, if you're a game writer, <laughs> right, right? So what? What? So what? If we were to kind of summarize the various MIDI packages that are available on the Coco, I know you started off on your slideshow, Rob Inman, but why don't you just run down that list again? How many programs do we have? What are they called? And I'm, I'm assuming at this point we can get them all on the archive. There's, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah maybe mention a- if they're Coco one and two compatible too for people that have a Coco one and two. Yeah, there's there's at least five, probably more. But the but the main ones are are Lyra or Lyra, I'm I'm going with Lyra, but tomato, Musica, tomato, uh, Ultimus, and Coco MIDI Pro. There's also Coco MIDI Two, which is a little bit harder to find, um, but it was the one I put pl- I played Axel F on. So that's that's five that I've discovered so far just by you know going through the music. Yeah, there's there's player programs too, like MF Play and others that yeah. Brian. I mean, that's impressive when you think about it. There's a close to a half a dozen different MIDI recorders and players for the Coco. So it was obviously a big thing. I didn't get into MIDI till I had already graduated past the Coco, but it's impressive, like like a lot of things that I'm finding about now that the Coco did and that the Coco can still do. Um, you know, multitasking operating system is impressive. MIDI controlling is, is impressive that the Coco is able to do all this kind of stuff in this new little... Our, our MIDI Maestro cartridge now, thanks to Jim's brain, is an impressive little piece of hardware too. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if you remember Rainbow, the heyday of MIDI was probably the late '80s, um, basically about the '84, '85 through '88, '89. And at that point, speech systems, which actually did a lot of the early MIDI stuff, like Lyra and Music and, and and the Symphony 12 and a bunch of other musically related products as well, they used to take out like four to five pages of ads for all of their stuff. They were advertising as much as Tom Mix or Spectrewar at their best of times. Mm -hmm. So that's how big MIDI and sound and music software on the Coco was. It was rivaling the biggest game companies we had. That's impressive. And uh, the thing I do remember, again, from just visiting studios back in the day, was that the Atari ST was notoriously known for and marketed as being a MIDI a MIDI product and it had built-in hardware-based MIDI ports and supposedly the timing on that was very precise as well. And then one that we didn't know about too much in the States, but the MSX platform, a lot of those, like there was a Yamaha-branded MSX music workstation that had MIDI ports, MIDI in and out and through on the workstation. So they were selling uh, basically a kind of a PC that was meant to be a musical workstation running something like Lyra or these other programs as part of its base application. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, rem- I yeah, I remember seeing, uh, you know, Atari ST 1040s in, in studios and stuff and being really impressed by that, but that was considered a real high end system in its heyday, you know, back in, uh, 1984, 85, my first music computer was the Yamaha CX5M. That was the, the system. It was, uh, I had a, a DX7, and the uh, the CX5M basically had a, a scaled-down version of a DX7 built into it. And it had the MIDI ports and everything built in, right. but it was specifically designed as a music system, exactly what you're saying. What, I'm, I'm, I still have it. I'm seeing the terms ADSR thrown out in chat. I'm not, I'm not 
familiar with that acronym? Attack, decay, sustain, release. It's the notes. Attack, decay, sustain, release. Okay, that's it. That's the, gotcha. ADS. Is there a question there? No, they were just, I guess when we were talking about the MIDI protocol as far as, you know, know, key up or key down, uh, Kevin Holloway started off by throwing out their ADSR. Um, And they're also mentioning that if you go to MIDI.org, you can see the whole syntax of the message structure and stuff like that. So Alan Murphy's throwing that out there. Um, so this is cool. So we, I definitely, I don't think we wanted to get too deep uh, into all the semantics and science of MIDI, into the protocol and the binary and all this kind of stuff. But um, suffice it to say, Brian Schubring has definitely opened up a nice can of worms with showing the world what we can do MIDI-wise with the Cocoa um, you know, MIDI you know, stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface, and it's a way to plug a cable from a computer into a musical instrument and, and vice versa, and to be able to play, to use your computer to output music to an instrument, to use your computer to input music to your computer to record, so you can use your computer as a recording studio. Um, there's a lot you can do with MIDI, and the Coco apparently has been very MIDI-centric for, for a long time. Uh, and, and it seems like we're getting into a MIDI revival right now, which is kind of cool. It's kind of exciting because I was a big fan of listening to MIDI songs on my PCs and, and dabbling in, in MIDI with my crappy keyboards and stuff at the time. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing what people start to come up with. Um, that might be cool to have like a kind of submit your MIDI um, uh, composures. You know, because people want to compose an original piece in MIDI and record it and we can play it on the show that'd be kind of cool as a segment just the, you know the midi song of the week or something you know just the way Good you, you know what i mean yeah. so uh that'd be neat just kind of feature especially if you're doing it in the coco somehow in the mix of the process here's here's my coco midi uh, thing i produced this week and we can kind of you know bring that to the show to let people hear it i love hearing electronic music my my first exposure to electronic music was the coco <laughs> you know so hearing the <laughs> hearing the 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 bach Fugue and all those classical songs and the William Tell Overture, that really got me interested in in electronic music other than like what was on the radio. So knowing that a computer could generate music really sparked that interest. And I've never lost that kind of passion for appreciating electronic music, you know, going back 40 years now. So um. (laughs) Robert Murphy saying would go well with the art gallery. Are you being sarcastic there? Well, we got to remember to uh, uh, side of sarcasm there. So, uh, <laughs> Jason Wright, does anybody want to admit Jason Reichert? I don't know. Can we trust him? Oops, oh, I just is. accidentally did. Sorry. Okay. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> is there any more we want to to add right now, or should we maybe take a commercial break and come back? Oh, uh, I have one. Uh, I have one general MIDI question. Oh, I like what <laughs> you did there. What? <laughs> and. Um, Make sure we get this right here. Uh, now, muted your mute button, Jason. Mm. Yes, muted MIDI does support a mute feature. If that's what you're asking, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a live demonstration, actually. Oh, that was that was easy. Uh, no, what, what I know now, they're talking about the different I- instruments in MIDI. Now, it, now, are you? Is there just a certain set of instruments, and you're locked into that set? There's only so many possible ones, or can they be added? It, in the set. general MIDI spec, there's a, there's, a, there's a set specific 
application, but MIDI itself, you can, you know, controlling synthesizers so yeah the instruments are you oh you're, you're asking you're yeah. talking about your ukulele there yeah so are we able to add the five dollar ukulele that's my ultimate question you could sample it you could sample that yeah, into a sample. absolutely into this, into this beast of hope behind me we could sample it yeah. into the fairlight yeah, that's and, and that's yeah. that's what that's what's called taking the long way to a joke. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was a long setup for, but the punchline, the payoff was worth it, right there. Um, uh, sure, it was. I, I, well, I think one of the things that James Jones had mentioned earlier in the chat is that the keyboard is what we consider the controller, and that's your input device. And there are other types of MIDI controllers that not only simulate a piano keyboard, but there are string. So there are guitar synthesizers. Yeah, Roland had a good one. There are wind uh, yeah. instrument synthesizers. So one of the reasons why guitars, there's a few reasons why guitars in MIDI typically don't sound as fluid. And one of them is is the plucking of the string and the vibrations of the strings. It's it's impossible to redu to produce that on a on a piano keyboard because that keyboard is rigid. It's not going to vibrate like a guitar string will. Um, and so uh, they, they actually make, and, and I've actually seen guys in bands that have had um, pickups that went to their guitar where they're playing their guitar to control a MIDI instrument and they would use a foot pedal to change. Like the guy's sitting here playing an organ on his guitar and he would just change out his, 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 his patches through his foot pedal and they've used a guitar as an input device so there's different ways to um, to bring in different things. So if you wanted to get MIDI to sound more like guitar strings and you had a, a MIDI guitar instrument, that might do it. Am I correct in assuming that? To get yeah, the vibration yeah, yeah. of the strings and the plucking sensation and, um, you back, know. Back in the early 90s, around 92, 93, I was part of a duo. Uh, electronic music duo it was uh, two of us a guitarist and myself and um the guitarist had a, a roland gr1 guitar synth um which was the big one that yamaha that, that, that roland released in the early 90s um and we had a whole segment of a live show that we used to perform and marty would play the keyboard parts on his guitar yeah. and i'd play the guitar parts on my keyboard live in front of an audience wow and they used to love it it was yeah, a lot of fun with that. Well, I, I mean, a, a guitar that is fairly easy to synthesize on a keyboard is like a bass guitar, because Geddy Lee would play the bass. Uh, uh, Ray Manzarek from The Doors used to play, you know, keyboard bass. So bass notes are not quite as chord structured as guitar notes are. And to me, like the synthesized guitar, when you try to hit a chord on a MIDI instrument for guitar, it just, it sounds so fake, you know, where, you know, a real chord with real strings has got such a different sound to it the layers and everything that to me i've i have not heard and maybe because i don't have the right instruments but i have not heard yeah. good electronic guitar chord sounds synthesized well but maybe you guys know that there's better tech out there now that does that if, if i can jump in real quick yeah it comes back to that envelope generator where you're talking about where you need a, a really sharp attack a really fast decay but then you need a couple of different sustains and releases in a guitar, and it gets a little complicated. Mm. Yeah, because you got like finger vibrato you got to worry about and pinched harmonics and, and all kinds of stuff. So, so it's not one in, mode. It's, yeah. Remember back in the yeah. 80s, you, uh, some synthesizers had a breath control. I think you, yep. you, know, you blow through it and you could sort of add some of that mm. control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Darren. Yeah, Darren I was just going to say, Darren, since you're much more involved with the modern stuff, have you heard any really good guitar uh, reproductions? Yeah, the, the, look, in, 
when when I when I play in that cover band, uh, we only have one guitarist. So when he does a solo, I'll often play um, you know some power chords behind him. No one notices, but I think a lot of it's the way you play it too. Like um, there's mm. certainly stuff you wouldn't attempt. Uh, otherwise, it would sound cheesy. Like if I was going to so- do a, a guitar solo on a on a on a synth, I think that always kind of sounds a bit cheesy. But if you're playing some nice um, chords behind a guitarist, that sounds really good. Some of the some of the newer instruments um, are, are almost perfect, but you know, to a trained ear, you're not going to fool anybody. I don't think. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know when you hit, you play back a MIDI file and you get that guitar solo and it just sounds. You go, oh, like, no, not, yeah, not the mini guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. But I, but I think I think it's just poorly executed. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'll um maybe I'll uh I'll put some guitar in a track and see if we can yeah. see how close we can get it. I remember a program years ago that was called Keytar, and you used your keyboard to or use a mouse to simulate like you were strumming the strings on a guitar, and it sent yeah. those through as keys to your MIDI controller. And and that sounded a little bit more realistic, um, as far as getting the the reaction or action of the strings, you know. Isn't that the name of those uh, keyboards which were like a guitar? They call them keytars. Uh was it? Yeah. Is yeah, that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. 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 A bit of echo neck and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cool. Yep. Some funky town. Yeah, and by yeah, the, yeah, there are there are some comments out there saying that there are bass players who play their bass guitars like six string guitars, and that's absolutely true. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, um, you know, poo poo bass players, but I know, I know just in general most bass lines aren't uh, complex chord structures. So, um, not that bass guitar can't be as as vibrant as a, a six string guitar. Uh, all right, so do we want to take a break? Do is there more we want to talk about in mid or do you think we've kind of done a good? And we kind of put a good fork in MIDI for today. One thing I'd like to is something out there. Okay. Uh, Yeah. um, For the MIDI pack, I had a friend of mine who built one into his color computer. Okay. Internal? And uh, I was just wondering if maybe we could have it so that the MIDI pack was like a daughter board underneath the processor or like Mm -hmm. a, uh, or like a, port extender before you put the uh, multi-pack in that way you're not taking up a slot oh in the that's feature creep for the sd extender right here jim <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that, because it's stuff because it's it's at only one address and that mm-hmm. and it's not a wide address uh range either so it's like only one or two bytes so i was just thinking do that real time clock you know you can have your yeah. uh your buffer in there for the um or not pro- buffer i'm sorry the uh eprom you know for you know maybe extra features and stuff so just i j- just want to toss that out no i would say um that and the 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 thing we talked about earlier the basic command for play and whatnot what i'd encourage uh, folks to do is um there is a discord server for coco talk or actually for for this whole kind of MIDI. you know environment um, and one of the one of the channels in there under the hardware section is is a MIDI channel, and so I, if you could, uh, Brian and 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 whoever else has suggestions, if you could go in there and put those things in there because, um, you know, it's like I might not be able to handle that right now, or maybe I don't have time, but somebody else has a little bit of time right now. But at least if the idea is there, it's kind of living there, and and people can pick up on it, and we can kind of talk about it and see what it what it means to do that. 
Um, I've thought for some time about an idea of a, a daughter board to bring some additional capabilities to the Coco without having to use uh, an external cartridge. Um, and your idea is is the germ of, of what I'm thinking as well. But the question is, is you, you kind of get one chance to do that. So, you know, what kind of things do you want in there? Um, so in any event, I think going out to the channel and, and putting that stuff in there would be would be would be really helpful for me and, and other people as well to converse about it there. So we don't take up more time here. And I'd like to extend that too, because basically for people that are watching the show after the fact and aren't able to ask live questions in the chat, et cetera, if you have any questions, put them in that same MIDI channel on Discord, because we are planning on doing a follow-up show, um, you know, to get more into the intricacies. And Darren's going to demonstrate actually using the Coco as a full recording studio and how he, how he builds his songs, et cetera. But we can throw in some of that kind of stuff as well, as well as the hardware questions and, you know, software programming questions, et cetera, all into the MIDI right. channel on Discord. That's right. So, so definitely want to... So what's your I'm sorry, ahead. what's your nickname in there, bro? Uh, Jim? Is, you use your, is your, it Go for Retro? Uh, go for Retro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Um, the only thing I wanted to end on is, so I found out very late in the design process that the Dragon uh, had a uh, MIDI cartridge available for it. I evidently didn't didn't have that much traction, and so there's not as much, um, not very much support for it. But I did support the Dragon in the device, if you see on the kind of right-hand side of my screen, you can see a little jumper there for Coco and Dragon. It is set up different. They, they put theirs at a different um, address than the, the Coco version. Um, however, um, I, you know, if there's folks that are listening after the fact that have a Dragon, I sure would love to get in touch with you and, and see if maybe during our follow-up show, we could, we could see if there's any, you know, traction or, or val validity to, to showing that the Dragon doing uh, MIDI, because it, it's just as capable to do MIDI as the Coco. Um, but I just didn't see as much available there, and that's a shame. I'd also like to know, like, if if you have it set to the Coco addressing, do the Coco one and two programs like Layer and stuff work on the Dragon as is? And maybe that's not even necessary. Like, if they didn't have much software support, you might be able to just load the Coco program and go. And, and indeed, I think the difference on those well on those programs, uh, I think there's some differences in the keyboard and whatnot. So with the programs, are yeah, if they're um, keyboard driven, like Musica, that would make it might be it yeah. might be an issue mapping the keyboard. But Lyra, Lyra, whatever you want to call it, I mean that's basically a mouse driven program, okay. so that should okay. work on both. I would so guess. yeah, and it, and if it does, then obviously it would work with the Coco with the setting on Coco. So it just would be nice to get some Dragon participation exactly. to see, you know, is is there something else that needs to be done or 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 just what you know? So I mean, we're we're talking about feature creep and designing new products, and I know this is one of your favorite topics, Jim Brain, as a, as a product yeah. designer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, can you can you just throw on you know extra slice of cheese while you're at it? But what do we think the market is? I mean, right now we've already have a MIDI product that's out there. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how many it's sold, but uh, hopefully after this show, maybe a few more will get sold. But I'm just wondering. Um, you know, what do we think the market is? How many people, I mean, I know there's Bill Pierce and Bill Pierce probably has everything he already needs, but you know, I'm sure if you make a new toy, he might want it. But, you know, how many people are out there that are going to buy this? Uh, that uh, Right now, you got a few people that are going to buy your card now. We're talking mm -hmm. about a new version of with a this or that and the other. Will these same people buy two or three versions of your card as we add more? Like Brian Shoebring, you probably would because this is, this is your hobby. Um, but like you say, you don't, you, you know, you, you, you're going to design something again. We don't want to have to keep redesigning this because I would imagine the, the total market's got a very, it's got to be relatively small, right? Yeah, I would, I, got I four, would agree. I've got four Cocos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I keep, that, I keep that, spending money. 
that was one of the reasons why I haven't, as I've told many people, you know, I, I try to not do projects. Um, uh, I, I try to not hand assemble stuff if I don't have to. And so, um, uh, this one I am because I wasn't sure what the volume is. And, and so, you know, that's one way to kind of get something out of the market without having to have a huge, um, investment. The, the best way to deliver these is via machine assembly, and there's a minimum for those, so it's like 100 units. I'm not opposed to making a revision that would incorporate some of these other features, but I think we kind of touched on today what the the primary mover is, right? People don't buy a midi pack to have a midi pack. I mean, there's some people who do because they need to have one of everything, but most people buy a midi pack because either one of Nick's games has midi capability or there's a great amount of of you know, um, software or whatnot that, that they can easily get to and use that, that enables the MIDI pack and they have a way to use the MIDI pack with their, you know, synthesizer or whatnot. I think a lot of people assume that a synthesizer is required in order to use MIDI. Um, you can use a regular PC with a MIDI to USB adapter to, to use your PC as a synthesizer. But then the question is what, is the cocoa bringing to the table in that as opposed to just playing the song directly from within the PC. I really like the idea of being able to have basic programs uh, do MIDI commands. That sounds like that could be a mm. kind of a killer feature. The idea of having a game that does MIDI would be another potential you know, killer feature or whatnot. I feel like the hardware always lags. There has to be something that, that, that says to people, hey, I want to do this, and doing this requires buying this hardware, so it's kind of a means to an end from them. Um, so I think that's probably the bigger question is not necessarily the market, but what's the possible uses and then the market of those possible uses, um, because that would encourage me to, you know, design something again, like I said, if I was design another unit, um, either internal or external, I think one of the things that I would consider doing is, is incorporating some audio capabilities into the cartridge as well. Um, just the reason is, is I think having a chiptune type MIDI player is a really cool idea, and that would be a nice option for the Coco to portray. But I'm, I'm eager to have uh, other ideas, and we'll just have to figure out, you know, what's that, what's that market base for that, and does it reach that threshold to do a machine assembly or not? How many things can we put in, and how can we keep the cost reasonable? Um, but again, I think those are best long discussions held in the, the MIDI channel. Environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I have two things to add to that. If you were going to redesign this, because we're, we're <laughs> we've already we're now we're getting into the whole sound sound card uh, yep. debate. There's all these different sound cards that are not being supported as it is. Um, to me, uh, the MIDI the the next generation of this MIDI thing would be great if it was a self-contained instrument. Because I think the market would be this. It's a MIDI controller. There's already a half a dozen programs on the that are available for free that support MIDI. There's yep. hundreds of MIDI songs that are already out there that you can get for free from the archive. So if you had a, let's say, $100 product that you can plug into your Coco that was like an SD extender where we don't need a multi-pack, because again, the multi-pack to me is going to be a, a showstopper. Anything right. that's going to require me to plug more crap in, I'm not interested in personally, but I'm not I'm not every consumer, but mm-hmm. if this was a pass-through device and it was a MIDI controller and a synthesizer that was at least general MIDI compliant, 
then the market would be this. Plug this in and play 10,000 songs that are on your SDC image and listen to them. If nobody writes a game that supports it, well, it doesn't matter because you can just... I would rather listen to 1,000 MIDI songs on my Cocoa than 1,000 Orchestra 90 songs. You know what I mean? On a, <laughs> on a good-sounding chip. Right, right. So that right there is a market that nobody has to buy any software. Nobody has to write any software. The the, the players are there. The song, the, the music library is there. And then if Nick Morentes or anybody else that wants to support this does support it, that's even, you know, mo better. All right. So right. And, and the fact you can actually program the MIDI from basic, like you probably can't do, you know, like hyper, you know, extensive tunes. You could make a basic game with background music in yeah. pure basic, no ML routines, no nothing. Correct. Correct. Yeah, those are all great ideas. And I, I think one of the things to understand is I, I don't feel bad about the initial version of the cartridge as far as bringing it to market because, as Brian indicated, um, the whole reason this started is um, there was a request by Brian, hey, does anybody have the schematic for the, the MIDI cartridge that was available back in the day? And there was a hand-drawn version of the schematic that was posted on Facebook. And I saw that, and my concern was, if somebody a couple years from now um, needs to fix one of those cartridges or whatever, the hand-drawn schematic is going to be very, it was very hard to read. It was very hard to understand and whatnot. And so my goal was not really even thinking about a product. Mine was just, I want to make this readable and in a version or format that can be exported as a nice graphic so that people have it for, you know, for archival purposes. Um, <clears throat> Brian, then, you know, we, we hooked up and, connected and and he was like i really do think there's market for this the person that previously made them is no longer in the community or doesn't seem to be available to supply them and i thought well this is a pretty low entry um to the market and i'll just i'll just do this cartridge without a whole lot of bells and whistles um and i i think that's a fine idea and if if that's as far as it goes then that's great but if there is interest in something else i would see that thing as a as the first version of something else not the second version of this I just think this was a nice way to have, as an open source solution, um, a, a set of plans out there so that forevermore there will be an option to create a, a MIDI cartridge so that you can use it with the Coco. And if you have one and you need to figure out what's wrong with it, you'll have nicely drawn plans to help you out. Fair enough. Okay. Well, how about this? We're gonna run. We're gonna run a commercial for the Coco MIDI Maestro again. That was produced by our very own Rob Inman, and then we'll play another commercial break because I need to take my designated Rondelville potty break at this point. Um, <laughs> so we're we're gonna run a uh, MIDI Maestro commercial. We'll run a brief minute and a half commercial break, and we'll be back and we'll talk about something. How about some news? Some gaming news? Who knows? Right? Sounds good. All right, we'll be back after these words, boys and girls. The music is back. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. The Mini Maestro. Available now. Only from Retro Innovations. As seen on Coco Talk. Go the number four retro.com. Coco will return after these messages. 
Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité, le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now, Coco Thought by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Hi, Ron Delvo, Timberman, Coco Fest. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get Ama Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack's store-wide manager's rent tax sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis. And now a Muppet News Flash. And we're back, and we are here with news with L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. I'm assuming my screen is being shared here. Yeah, so just to continue on the MIDI track for a bit here, uh, we mentioned during the MIDI segment that uh, Brian Schubring's actually been doing a series of videos on Facebook um, showing some of the stuff you can do with a cocoa with MIDI. And he's got two episodes out so far, which I highly recommend, especially if you like this, this uh, episode we had today. Um, we are, it's currently on Facebook only, uh, Stevie and Brian are working on getting them up onto YouTube as well. Cause I know some people are pretty anti Facebook and never touch the thing. So 
Um, so his first one is basically just a general explanation to MIDI, which is the one here. And then his second episode uh, was getting more into uh, playing compacted MIDI files, the CMF zero protocol that he was talking about under Nitrous 9 using MF play. And then also his little jukebox front end. And I have no idea what all other stuff he's got planned, but uh, it's a pretty good series. And if you're into MIDI or thinking of getting into MIDI, it's a great series to watch. Suggestions welcome. <laughs> also, again, the MIDI channel on Discord. We're going to load that sucker up. Okay, and then on to the regular news. So the first one here, uh, Bill Purse, which we talking about earlier, because he's the guy who is doing the bar and studios and is currently in charge of doing the new releases of Ultimuse. Um, I was also kind of in charge of doing the, the regular VCC. Now there's also the OVCC project as well. So we just issued a release a couple of days ago here that actually patches the composite mode colors for artifacting so that they're much closer to the original Cocos because the original VCC had this really garish blue and really garish red that didn't match the cocoa whatsoever. It looked pretty bad. Um, it, was, it was better than nothing, but not by much. And, and then the new ones actually look a lot better. So you can download that off of uh, GitHub and whoever's doing links, it'll be on there. Um, but just there to show be, you, this is great. Sorry, there might be some more problems with that F version because I I copied that across, and my latest game doesn't work. The joysticks, only the uh, one of the uh, um, joystick axes work. Yet in the old version, it all worked correctly. So I don't know if there's something else broken. I haven't explored it, and I haven't mentioned it yet, but. Yeah, okay. just, yeah, just, didn't just be aware there may be a, a bu other bugs in that F version. So, Has anybody else tried this to see if whether they're hitting issues too, or is that just uniquely Nick at this point? I, I the colors are a like different it. improvement, but yeah, there could be some other bugs in there, so I'm, I'll work that out today. I've run into some other issues with F. Um, like it doesn't save. Like the E version would save your uh, uh, cartridge settings. The F version does not appear to. Okay, so make make sure you guys report those to Bill because he was saying yeah, that he's got yeah. a few other little changes he wants to do and do another release fairly quickly. So now, uh, and I think it was Jim Rye, and and because he posted a picture of this in the Game On Challenge where he was doing something in VCC, and um, and somebody says, "Oh, that's cool. How did you do that?" He's like, "Well, I kind of just tweaked the source code myself." But I think he um, gave those changes to Bill. Who put it into the official release? So we, I think we saw a sneak peek of this in the Game On Challenge <laughs> last <laughs> week or so of, of that. Now my question is because I haven't looked at it. Obviously they fixed what the you know the red is now orange and the blue is a softer blue. Um, but did they also fix things like how the fonts were really rugged too? Has any of that smoothing happened? Did, or, no. now? Yeah, I think okay. this is a pretty minor update. Okay, just because he had a lot of people you know saying you know the colors are completely wrong. yeah okay. So, um, but still, yeah, that's that's a huge improvement. I know Walter's still working on OVCC, which has a lot of patches, like a full 639 core. He's talking about adding the second hard drive support that we use in Nitrous 9 with MAME and the SDC. So, I mean, that's a competing product there. But uh, I haven't heard too much about that lately. I don't know if that's not getting updated. I, I don't know if it's a competing product. It's more of the complementary product to this, right? So the... Yeah, I guess somewhat. Yeah, it depends yeah. on your point of view. I mean, yeah. it's cross-platform, which is one nice thing. But I know it had some issues, too, where it was, you know, some of the menus and stuff were pretty slaughtered on my end. I know last time I tried it. I haven't tried it hmm. recently, but. Cool. Next up, uh, Bill Noble uploaded, and this is actually a sneak preview of some of the stuff that's coming with the uh, Beta 6 by the end of the year for Nitrous 9 as well. He's got a new SDC control utility. Now, Barry Nelson and Tim Linder, I think, were the original authors of the original one. 
the syntax is kind of odd. You have to kind of remember these weird commands. What Bill's done is made it much more English style and he's included the source code and he's actually put it up as a separate download so you guys can get it now without having to wait for beta six to come out. So that's available on Facebook. He's also put on that color computer archive. I can't remember if it's actually viewable on there yet or not. I know because Gwim just, you know, does an update maybe once or twice a week type thing. So depending on when the cycle is. And he also put up a little video of it showing here, which I'll just uh, quickly play. So genuine shaky cam. So you can, now you can see, you can actually types the word dir, whereas it was a single letter thing before that did it. And he's got built-in help with all the various commands that you can do there. So it'll come in quite handy. We're going to be using a version of this actually as a pop-up on G-Shell as our eventual plan, so that you can actually right-click on, say, the second hard drive image or whatever and change the image that's mounted there on the fly in G-Shell while you're running. So it'll be a bit more GUI-oriented, but this is the basis of that. Uh, next up, Phil Harvey Smith in the Dragon Facebook group um, has put up uh, some custom cases he's doing. Now, if you remember a couple months ago, he had that uh, custom debugging hardware. It had all those wires coming out, that little mini LCD screen that was showing, you know, exactly what the interrupt lines are doing and, you know, various parts of the 609, et cetera. So he's actually designing an external case uh, design now to actually put that on that you can kind of mount it on top of your Dragon and then you can actually monitor if you're trying to do hardware debugging or software debugging at the hardware level. And there's one, uh, you know, little screens will kind of go in those little square boxes beside the dials. I don't know what everything else on this does because I don't remember exactly what's on the hardware, but uh, he was taking some suge design suggestions from the uh, Facebook group of Dragon on how to set this up. And it's, it's actually a really cool project. I don't know if it'll work on the Cocoa, but it'd be kind of handy though for you know debugging at a hardware level uh, to figure out what's going wrong with the program you're trying to write. So the LCD, sorry, those little screens there are basically little LCD screens, are they? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If you remember the video that we showed, he actually had a video of the, the the loose wired prototype version laying beside the dragon about a month, two months ago, which was actually showing, you know, like the NMI, NMI line just triggered and the FRQ is here and that kind of thing. It's kind of like a little panel, which you would see like on a, um, the floppy, the go, the go tech floppy yeah, emulator, exactly, like a little exactly. screen like that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Hmm. Next up, uh, this is on YouTube and um, this is a Facebook group called, or Sorry, it was on the Facebook group. But the Digital Orphanage is the name of the uh, YouTube channel. It's not one I've seen before, based in the UK, obviously, for dragons. What he's doing here is that the Museum of Computing in Swindon, which is in the UK, uh, of course, you know, with COVID, it's been shut down. So he's been decided to help them refurbish a bunch of dragons. Now, they had 11 dragons that were not fully functional or had not been tested at the very least. Um, they have a couple of demo units that are, that are up right now. So he decided to go through and he's actually going to be uh, refurbishing them all. So there's the interior of the museum. And then he starts going through like power supplies and there's two different power supplies and he actually gets into quite a bit of detail, but he's actually going to try to refurbish all of these and then give them back to the museum and whether the museum's going to keep them all or maybe give some away, I'm not sure. But uh, this is like part one of going through the power supplies and some other things. And then he's going to be going through the internals and the keyboards and everything else on future episodes. So if you want to learn a lot about the internals of a dragon and how the whole thing works, it's a good series to watch. And then this is an MC10 uh, Facebook group story here from Robert. Incredible C. system. Fantastic system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got its yep. biggest booster on the show right now, Mr. Stevie Stroll, mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen. So what he's been doing lately, there's a, an emulator that actually supports some higher modes that don't exist on the real MC10. But now he's been writing some software 
to take a higher color image and then drop it down to the screen that the real MC10 can support. And uh, he's been showing some of the results and some of them are actually getting pretty good here. He's added some dithering and stuff here. So this is a zoom up of the original image on the left, which I think is a 16 color higher res image and the, the right's basically the equivalent of a P mode one on the Coco. Yeah, neat. one of the built-in modes there, but the dithering looks pretty good and it's actually starting to really resemble the artwork that he's trying to do. And he's had multiple examples of these. And one guy actually responded to him and said, this would be great for writing a, a graphical adventure game in the MC-10. Mm-hmm. Now, the MC-10, I believe, does have a floppy emulator somewhere. I don't know if it's part of the MCX. or if that was Well, the MCX-128, you could just pull it over MC. It's, it acts like a floppy. It's like a drive-wire Oh, the drive-wire, right. Yeah. The drive-wire protocol. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be pretty interesting to have an MC-10 actually doing a full-blown graphic adventure game like that. Canadian Retro Things. Yeah, Ken, I'm sure he's in the chat somewhere. Now, Ken, if you remember, I complained extensively last week that he you know, got the Scope of 3 in the mail and then did nothing but just like, take it apart and spray air on it and absolutely nothing to fire it up to see You were wrong. Which completely sucked. So you I'm glad were he's, wrong. I'm glad he's fixed it up now and he's actually done the video where he's actually fired the sucker up. So <laughs> He only promised an unboxing. And then Coco Tree. Yep, Coco demonstrates Trois. Temple of Rom. Demonstrates the basic. He actually is starting to write a little basic program, which I, I, it's Coco One Two compatible. He's got this little ship, but I'll just play a little bit here. So I guess that really makes me very happy because I now have a mostly working Coco Three computer. Just needs a little bit of tweaking here and there. Well, there we go. I mean, that Coco 3 is working way better than I was expecting it to. So Now, if you remember when we showed his first video like that, this is one of those ones that got sold at a pawn shop, so they'd cut the power cut off and then uh. jury-rig something electrical tape. And so he was really worried when he bought it because, I mean, the Coco 3s are getting quite expensive and he wanted to get something he could afford. Mm -hmm. So he waited and got this one, not expecting it to really work, but basically everything's working fine. He loaded stuff off cassette, saved to cassette. Joysticks are working. The keyboard seems to be working. So, obviously, he doesn't have an RGB monitor or anything yet. But uh, I'm interested to see what he. Sorry, that was sucks. that? Nick? That sucks. They cut the power cords off of them. Well, it seems to be a standard procedure at pawn shops. Apparently, I, I don't know what the exact explanation for that is. But well, it's also scary. In the, in the maintenance world, you cut off the power cord to indicate the device needs maintenance before it could be plugged in again. Yeah, it's so done as it could a, be a uh, safety. Uh, yeah. It's done as a liability thing too, so that the people who sell them, if they sell a faulty product and someone gets injured from it, then they're not liable. Okay. Huh. It's also something that's common in the uh, uh, electronic scrap industry that they will cut off the power cords and uh, scrap the cords for their copper. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we've seen multiple videos of people that have picked up these things at pawn shops or even in garage sales and the power cord's been either completely cut off and it's not even there or somebody has had it cut off and the jury rigs something on, you know, by just tying the lines together by hand and electrical taping and hoping it works. Uh, next up, Keith in the UK here. He's been doing a series. Well, he's been doing all kinds of CPUs and, and machines here. And he's been doing 6809 stuff with the Vectrix, with the Fujitsu FM7, with the Dragon 3264, the Coco 1 and 2. And he's been doing a multiple ones on the Coco 1, 2, and the Dragon because, of course, their hardware is very similar. Last episode we showed that he did was reading the joysticks and the keyboard. In this case here, he's actually going through graphics. And he goes through you know, how to set up semi-graphics for, how to do all the you know the regular graphics modes, how to do the graphics modes that BASIC does not support. He very briefly touches on the semi-graphics here. 
Um, but he goes into like how to set the screen mode, how to map it, whereabouts to go in RAM, and you want the screen to show up, how to set the color set. He actually, you know, briefly draws a shape onto the screen, you know, a little sprite thing. He's eventually planning on doing a game that's going to be cross-platform. Um, and he shows the source code and exactly how everything works, which is pretty cool. And then he has a little uh, emulator uh, stuff he uses, he uses X-Ware. So we can find the actual... Yeah, so here it's kind of not the great color set here, and he didn't clear the screen first, but you can kind of make out this little shape of a figure, a sprite he's going to be using on this game. So he's he's been very knowledgeable. I mean, he's he's done stuff on the Z slash Z80. He's done stuff on the 68000, the 6502, and a bunch of others. So he really knows the CPUs. He knows the differences between them, which he'll mention when he's going through the videos. <clears throat> so if any of you are coming in new to the Coco and you've, say, used an Apple or an Atari with the 6502, He'll actually, well, in the earlier parts of the series, go through and explain, you know, what the differences between the chips are, what the capability differences are. So he's, he does really, really good videos, and they're not slow-paced. I mean, they're fairly quick. They're not super long. He doesn't, you know, go into the weeds like we usually do here, you know, for two hours on a subject type thing. He'll do, you know, like, you know, 20 to 30-minute videos, so it's a nice chunk to get into your brain and let it sift for a while before you go on to the next episode. So definitely, I've been following his channel now for a while. He's got a ton of good stuff on there, uh, you know, explaining how vector graphics works on the um, the Vectrix. He, he explained how the bitmap and sprite graphics work on the Fujitsu FM7, which also uses the 6809. Actually, it's two of them. Um, so very interesting series. I would highly recommend it uh, if you want to learn a semi language as a companion piece to the Steve Bjork series that we've done on Coco Talk here. This is a good companion piece to go into it, too. And he did mention this episode for the first time. He is planning on doing a Coco 3 specific one later on, too. So start getting into gimme X modes and, and you know the gimme X interrupt controller and stuff like that too. So uh, I'm definitely going to be watching for that because we've had good series on doing Coco one and two stuff because that's the most common platform for everybody. There hasn't really been any good video series on doing a second language for the Coco three specifically. I know the Coco three specific features, and I know in Discord we get tons of questions. How do I set up the gimme to do this and map the MMU here and how does that all that work and that type of thing? So it's going to be nice to actually have some video of semi-language tutorials for the Coco 3 coming up. So definitely keep an eye on his page. Our last one here, now this was kind of along the lines of the VCC. It, it's had some reported bugs with certain people's systems. For others, it works fine. I don't know if that's the same situation with the VCC thing. But Sheldon McDonald's released a new uh, Radio Shack DOS uh, utility for Windows specifically to copy you know disks back and forth now no nick morantes you've actually ran this and you've been pretty impressed with it, it it's less buggy than the one you were using before i believe yeah, did you want to kind of give an explanation of what exactly it does uh it, it's fairly basic in that it allows you to um to uh, open up a dsk image and uh in, in two separate windows so it's a dual pane display so you can open up two dsks and copy files between the two DSKs, or you can create a DSK image and then copy files to it. Basically, that's it. That, well, that's all I've explored so far, but it's quite handy. Yeah, I noticed he's got really, a raw disk really editor useful. tab. Yeah, I haven't explored that, so I'm not sure what that does. Okay. That looks that looks like an extremely useful utility. But just copying files between DSK images. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's yeah. I do that a lot, so this will be very handy. Mm. Now, wasn't uh, Stevie? You can remind me if I'm, I'm correct in this. Wasn't Paul Fiscarelli working on one that's even works? Have you let you? Oh, well, Paul Fiscarelli is working on something that is kind of like an archiving tool that will let you catalog all of your floppies, and not only that, but it it gets into viewing the contents. You can get like a hex dump of the disk. It'll do like a detokenization, so you can see the basic listing of it. Um, it does a lot of stuff. 
So uh, specifically, does it let you copy between virtual disks? I it don't does. know. It does. Okay. Yeah. It got does. It. So, but not for OS nine, which is what I really need it for. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So having a tool like this that would be kind of cross-platform between um, the RS DOS and the OS nine would be great if you needed to drag and drop files between these virtual disks between the different operating systems. That would be pretty handy. Um, yeah, so I know that I know Paul Fiscarelli's tool does a lot, and I know his is not like available to the public yet because it's, it's kind of constantly being worked on, or you know, at least it's, yeah. I, I view Paul's more as like the uh, the one for the hardcore people. Like if you want to detokenize basic on the fly, like it's more of the the programmer's version. This one is, I think, more meant for the user. Who just wants to move, you know, this game yeah, just found yeah, on yeah. the archive to their C games disc or something. And and the, I have something slightly similar to this, but it's not too pain. But um, the John Strong disc tool that I've been using for my basic development does let me manipulate files in and out of uh, virtual floppies, and I can copy from one virtual floppy to the other. Having the dual pane would be nice, um, but um, yeah. other than that, I, I can still do it. And I'll, of course, I agree with Rob. We need one that does between OS nine and Disk Basic because copying yeah. between the two or two between two OS nine disks and two Disk Basic disks, having an all in one that does everything would be really, really nice. Yeah. yeah. So this will the link to this will be in the descript- video description, I guess. It's on Facebook. Yeah, it's yeah. also in the uh, YouTube chat right now. It's already been posted yep. there. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. And that's it for regular news. Uh, do you want me to just segue straight into game on? News? Sure. Why not? Okay, I'll stop share and then share the other window. As as I bring it up so I can see this stupid thing. Hey, first up, Neil Blanchard. Now he's talked about this before. It's been a project, uh, like a passion project of his for years, literally, to get an arcade quality joystick. Uh, set up for the Coco. So this is going to be expensive because this is using real arcade parts, a real red ball arcade joystick, the real buttons that arcade games use. So this is not, you know, just a, like a quickie project. Um, it's called the Gamester. The standard version will come in this nice wood grain case. So it's kind of got that retro look to it, but it's also very solid and you can like hammer on it when you get mad at a game and it won't bust. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, especially for Stevie, I think that's a necessary feature. A rage quit stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you can beat on it. It'll it'll keep kick, kicking, you know, type thing. And there's the uh, drill hole in the back for the uh, joystick port to come out. That's really cool. And the cabling that goes into it. So the one DIN plug goes into the Coco and the other part goes into the actual stick and, itself. And the big base is good because it sits stable on the on the table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if yeah. you're uh, yeah, if you're a risk wrist-based joystick uh, player like me, you tend to yank that joystick around. It'll stay on the on the table better. <laughs> I think he also mentioned like he's got customization options. So if you want a left-handed version, which is something almost no sticks did for the Coco, he can actually custom make and put the uh, stick on the right and the buttons on the left type thing. So if you're lefty, it'll work fine for that. He's also got different case options, like a whole bunch of options. I think the base model, as you see it here, um, including the cable that plugs into it, obviously, I think was $80 US. And then depending on customization options, some of them don't cost more. It's just, you know, redrilling holes and just put them in different spots. But other things will cost extra. So he's got a whole bunch of features. And if you go onto the Facebook posting he did, um, there's a list of some of the options on this little text piece that accompanies it. Yeah, that's okay. that's actually a, a, a reasonable price. And the, the other thing he mentions in there too is that um, it, it there's an adapter for the Dragon. So instead of it being yep. the... The, the the five to six pin 
uh, converter. This also obviously is compatible with the Tandy 1000 that had the same Coco style DIN connectors with two buttons. Um, yeah. Yeah, that looks really good. Mm. Yeah, 80, 80 bucks for all that's really that's that's surprisingly good i was expecting it to be more but yeah so the box alone is probably almost worth 80 bucks yeah, yeah. i mentioned to you like optional upgrades he's got different wood choices different stain or paint finishes custom length modular cable if you want a longer one to be you know sitting way back from your coco type thing left-handed configuration which i mentioned earlier and then the dragon adapter that, that steve mentioned so there's a lot of a lot of, a lot of options to do too it's basically these are all handmade every time. Like these are not like some machine thing, right? Because yeah. of the way the case is designed and, and the different woods and everything else he's going to be able to use. So, find Canadian so product. That, so it's obvious it's analog joystick. I'm getting, I'm no, assuming. no, that's a that's oh, an digital. arcade digital. arcade digital stick. Oh, okay. So, all right, okay. Yeah, it won't work with every game on the Coco, but I mean, none of the digital sticks do. I take umbrage so. with people who yeah. like digital sticks, just so you know. So, um. <laughs> I'll give you umbrage. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your umbrage and I'll raise you <laughs> disrespect. <laughs> take a long walk Is off it? a short umbrage. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to get an analog stick that'll fit in, like an arcade style one that's actually analog? Or well, like a spinner. Oh, a spinner would be cool. Spinner or a paddle, yeah. No, I'm just thinking it's such a such a, a good paddle. design, such a good solid box. I don't see why not. I mean, if you had a spinner or a paddle or something, yeah, you probably. Yeah, could. I think part of his design is the analog. He's he's basically taking the analog and converting it to digital, or vice versa. He's taking the digital and sending it out as analog. It's basically doing yeah, what the joystick yeah. adapters do, right? So it's taking the joystick probably, adapter and the. It's probably just your uh, standard CD four zero six six adapter design. It's been around since the eighties for every other digital stick, I would guess. So, I'm just out of curiosity for you, for anybody who knows better than I do. Were there many or were there any arcade machines that used analog sticks? Analog no. sticks. Hmm. Star Wars Arcade? There um, are okay. analog sticks that are designed for arcades because um, I've seen them because I've looked into some of the arcade hardware because I thought about building my own yeah. arcade module. Um, but yes, you can get analog versions of those. Um, but they're not not common. Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um a lot of you can get other ones that more look like the Coco Deluxe style sticks, but feel better. But they're just a drop-in module like that, and those are usually like about fifty bucks just for the the analog stick. Yeah, because I was trying to think of were there any arcade what games that I could think ball? of that did actually use analog <laughs> for the sticks. I've seen analog paddles and stuff like Pong and stuff, of course, yeah. but. Would I don't I remember any analog? analog stick games. Which one? Centipede wasn't analog. Yeah, it was. No, it was, it was a trackball. It was analog, track but it was trackball. Yeah. It was missile command. It was all trackball. Track 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 yeah. Trackballs okay. are real micro switches in the joystick, so you can't break it. Right. Even if you're. <laughs> yeah, Jim R is saying that Tail Gunner used a self-centering analog joystick. So. Oh, there you go. So there was one. I, I, well, I was sure there had to have been. Yeah, I was trying to think. I was, I was thinking if it was anything, it might be something like a flight sim. Like I don't know if Star Wars Arcade had that, or if it was just an eight or sixteen position digital yeah, stick. I'm not sure. Um, so but that explains why it's expensive to get an analog arcade stick, because apparently it's quite rare. <laughs> it was actually used. Yeah, yeah. Now, if it makes a big hole in the top, you could put a trackball in there, I guess. But hmm. hey, it's okay. Yeah, paddles would be kind of neat. 
Yeah. Next up, now we've seen Puyan videos before, so I'm not going to bother playing it, but I just wanted to, to show it because this it's is something right. new on the Coco. Uh, Dennis Bison, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's somebody I've never seen before doing Coco stuff. And this is playing on MAME, and he gets through the first you know, two levels of the game type thing. But uh, once again, we we're, we're seem to be seeing an influx of a lot of people new to the Coco. I mean, Discord itself this week. How many new people did we get, Stevie, this week? Oh, a handful. Yeah, we got yeah. almost a half dozen, you know. Yeah, so I mean, the, the the market is still expanding, which is really good to hear. And, and some of the people, like I, I saw mentioning on Discord, these newer people that have been on, some of them are, you know, Coco users from way back are finally getting back into it after 20 years and don't even have a Coco yet again. Others are, you know, just getting into retro computing in general. And the Coco happens to be one of the ones they wanted to get into and they've joined our Discord, so obviously they're interested in it. So I, it looks like the market's still expanding, which is good for the hardware and software developers mm-hmm. amongst our group here. Maybe Tandy should come back. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Start manufacturing Coco 3s again. Hey, talk. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, the next one is kind of a reminder from Ian Maverick. Uh, they announced uh, the Trash Talk 2020 game programming competition. We announced it uh, on here, too, after they did their official announcement on the Trash Talk podcast. Like, this is months ago already. And the deadline, I believe, is the end of November. And uh, they're still looking for submissions for that, so... This is his paste on Facebook to remind everybody. There are prizes. There are even some Coco-related prizes. You can get an Orchestra 90. You can get his uh, remake of the Tandy floppy disk controller as uh, prizes if you write a Coco or MC10. But basically, it's open to any TRS-80, any Coco, and any Tandy computer model. So there's not really any restrictions. It's just write a game. And the deadline of November 30th, there's a few prizes going for the different types of computers. So... And Chad Edward made this nice, you know, wicked game here. He called the green screen of death, which is basically cleaning the screen to nuclear green and just sitting there. And he wants his trophy ready. <laughs> no, I, I, my trophy? To, I, he's funny. I, that'll do the job. <laughs> I, I had to laugh at his program listing there too. The, 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 the commenting for the for the program is longer than the program. Itself. <laughs> <laughs> you get up, of course, there must be an optimization suggestions, right? Yeah. Yeah, like take the space up between the go to line. You can line. speed it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I never show code for anything. Sure. <laughs> So, Cur- Curtis, do you like the new um, layout for Facebook? No. Anybody else here like it? No. I hate it. I think it's. I think it's okay. You have black or white. Okay. I'm that that part I don't mind. Having having the the color background that you can change is fine, but the making everything so big, honking like on their sidebars and stuff that you can't concentrate on the actual material. So I'm scrolling a lot more than I had used to have to. Like that part I don't like. They're forcing a mobile look yes. onto a desktop which never works as far as i'm concerned yeah they're forcing like the phone mobile at least if they did a tablet you know with a fairly decent sized screen but you can see like look at all the black space on the sides here that didn't yeah. used to be there you could fit the content now you're looking at like nothing well that's useful <laughs> facebook thanks a lot yeah <laughs> typical <laughs> but the dark mode, the dark mode i do like rob uh, yeah uh, dark mode i do like too especially if i'm you know sitting in the dark like i usually am um, so this Aww. is the actual web page for the uh, ca- the contest itself. Uh, you can see the URL right up the top there. Um, so if you want to get the details on it, what the prizes are, in case you want to write something for the other tier city models as well, they're listed down near the bottom over here. So you can win, you know, that's actually a whole darn thing. So they'll basically be saying what the available prizes are. And you get to pick out of those prizes if you play. So it's not like you're stuck. You have to get an Orc 90. You have to get a floppy disk controller. You get to pick. 
Okay. And then you can even do commercial releases. So if you want to sell your game commercially and make some money off of it yourself and also get a free piece of hardware while you're at it, uh, they have one request is that if you are going to sell it as commercial, don't sell it until December, until after the contest is closed. So, Nick, here's your chance to get some hardware and make some money off your games. <laughs> you, can, you can get a brand new, you know, Orc 90 card to put into your Ferrari. <laughs> I should write a TOS 80 Model 1 game. Let's check this one out. First. Oops. That was a bit loud. Um, so, Boat, John Schaller over at the Amigos here, actually hooked up his Coco 3, and it's one of the very few systems that he's got still running um, on real hardware. He's actually gone back to emulators because he had so many problems with some of the SD card solutions and some of the other things that were going on with video capture, et cetera, which I'm sure some of you have experienced as well. Hi, Brian. Um, but he's the Coco is one of the few machines that actually has run reliably enough for him that he's actually staying with the real hardware when he does demonstrations. So he did his first Coco stream in quite a while, um, took a bunch of suggestions for me. He actually had, had sent me a message about two hours earlier saying, can you suggest some Coco games that I could try? Because I'm planning on doing a stream tonight. And I think about 40 or 50 titles in, he finally got back home and he said, no, no, that's enough. I just need a few to play here. <laughs> Curtis, you have a problem. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. It is. So he played a few there, and I know Nick Morota, you actually joined the stream a little bit later on. There's a few games yep. that you had not seen before, because I was picking stuff yep. that generally we haven't covered or hasn't been covered on their show before. So uh, did you have any favorites or any comments that you want to say from the, the stream? Photon or Proton game looked neat. Photon, wanna, yeah. Yeah, I want to check that out more. Um, that's the only one that sticks out of my mind as far as one that I don't remember seeing at all. Yeah, I remember one he was impressed with that he hadn't seen before was Danger Ranger once he got used to the controls. Um, yeah, Ken Kalish. Ken Kalish one. Yeah. Photon yeah. is another fine quality Australian product, right? Nope, that's Jeff Steidle. Oh, States. is it? Okay. Yeah, but he played Doctor J and Larry Bird, and he and he liked that one, and uh, which apparently we trash or something. I didn't. I, I trashed it because I didn't <laughs> think it was as good as some of the other ones I've seen oh, other really? versions of it. But I, I didn't trash it per se. I just said you know I don't think it's the high end of a one on one, but. Uh, no, he actually said it's pretty similar to the Atari 4800 version. So, yeah, it sounds like he's saying he's warm. Uh, I don't know if he's warming up to the cocoa, but he's um, or if he was always pro cocoa. But he said good things about the cocoa games. That was that's good to hear. Yeah, you know, because we focus on some of the negative, like you know, we don't have sound and blah blah blah. But yeah, which know. actually Photon that was the impressive thing, and he was quite impressed with the music in Photon because Photon actually has different musical tracks for several of the mazes as you're going through them. That plays simultaneously with full, you know, Coco 3 sound effects and stuff here. I'm just letting this add so I can actually get back to the actual. So, yeah, I have to check it. Stream here. So, just uh, Curtis is Arkanoid because that was our game of the week. He actually played a little bit of that. Oh, did he? Oh, I missed this. This doesn't look as good in composite. Composite. So, this is really. Yeah, his video capture is washing it out a little bit, I think, more than he sees on his end, too. So, compared to. The colors are a little bit better in real composite, but. Ranger.dsk. Okay. Did a bit of Digger Three now. Digger Three. Like I actually asked Chet about man. this because obviously he's playing oh, you know an RGB song, colored game on composite. And it looks guy. like crap compared to what it animation. could look like. And I actually Great. asked Chet. I said, "So, is there plans for having composite support in oh. Digger Three? And he goes, "Nope." So are these piles of and it's something about heathens or something <laughs> like that. He's got his funny opinions. Something about what now? About supporting composite. Yeah, he's not planning on supporting composite. I mean, Nick Morantis has a fairly similar. Attitude towards that too. They 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 both think that you know, composite just not do a Coco three game justice. Okay, but I, I do end up supporting. 
Yeah, and then Chet, Chet apparently is not planning on supporting it. Too, <laughs> He's stronger wow, than okay. me. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. I'm sure that's <laughs> I don't know why I dropped through. Yeah, it's not. It's not like there. You know, well, is there? You know, are there's there not any RGB like, solutions uh, for the Coke like, Three on the out. market. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sounds. You guys should cross promote with some of these here. So, <clears throat> so yeah, there's Danger Ranger for those not sort of washed out. Yeah. I was going to say you can send me the. Rampage Ooh. is one of his personal favorites. I mean, he like actually views this as being one of the top two the Rampage conversions to any 8-bit system, game console or computer. Mm. Nice. Yep. I'd say that the, the master. Agree. Yeah, it's definitely very good. And here he started on composite instead of. Boy. So he's okay. got the proper color set. And I was trying to explain to him the controls and how to okay. play the You're game. You have to you break know, it down for me, with the head, which I'm has not lags. Trying to be difficult. Bit, I on. <laughs> Is it a yeah, the music is good. Right? Yeah, actually, it's one of the best I think on the Coco Three, to be honest. And there, mm. I mean, the early levels don't have much movement going on, but the later levels get tons Bam. of these photons okay. flying I've around. Got it. I know what's going on. And now. it doesn't slow down at all. Plus, it's got Welcome sarcastic, you know, comments and sarcastic voice mm. synthesis in it as well. Anyway, um, I've had he did an hour and a half uh, of streaming, just about. So, good stuff to watch. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that he. Uh, like still using the cocoa, the actual cocoa hardware because the fact that at least the SDC stable. <laughs> yeah, that is a good plug for the cocoa because he's he's has said numerous times that the cocoa SDC out of all the eight bit SDC solutions for any eight bit computer, the cocoa's is by far the easiest and most stable to use. There you go. Yep. And next, this is a follow up to last week where we had Brett Gordon on talking about the new networking. Uh, isometric viewing game that he's going to try to make multiplayer over the network for the Coco, uh, going through DriveWire, etc. And uh, this is the latest version of his game engine. He put up a little animated GIF of it running on um, VCC here. They recorded as an animated GIF and put it onto Discord. So you can see here he's actually added the first quest. You have to go get that beer and drink it. So, you know, I'm already into this game now as soon as I saw that. <laughs> so. And the question mark is basically tiles. But basically, the way it's, the game is planning and being working is at the server end, which would be a PC or Mac or whatever, would have the entire massive world in it. And it's going to just send over the network to the Coco a small part of the grid at a time. And then just you update tiles depending on the direction you're moving. And right now, those question mark tiles are basically he's not having the buffering going between the two going. But here he has a small world sent to the Coco. And then the Coco is drawing the actual tiles and drawing the actual graphics of the king and stuff rocking around. And the text and stuff, that's all done on the Cocoa side. But the streaming from the server is giving you the maps, updates of whether you picked objects up or not. So this is a kind of a, a further preview of it from compared to what we did last week. And actually, to be honest, in a week, he's progressed quite quite a bit already. So definitely looking Where is to he posting? Is he posting this in the general game thing? Because maybe we need to open up a new channel just for this. Yeah, I he, he discussed that. When we were talking about it, it wasn't the general game thing, or maybe it was the software dev. I can't remember which one specifically it was in. But he said if he's far enough along that he's comfortable, he can get the game done, then he wouldn't mind a channel for it. But at this time, he's experimenting to see if this is even possible. Okay. So. Because that's what we need is more Discord channels. We do. We do. <laughs> I think what we should do is we should create a channel to discuss future channels. Oh yeah! Just, Obviously, just, you've been talking to David Ladd, and Mark Overholz are far too much lately. <laughs> I have proposed many channels. times the channel channel, <laughs> and I have been laughed at. Just, just I will continue but, to laugh at Commando. you for that. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, we'll be adding a hundred more channels next weekend. Take care. It sounds like Darren has to go. Take care, Darren. 
Yeah, see you, Darren. Thanks for popping by. And you, we'll Darren. get you back yeah. on the next one. Bye, Darren. Yeah, Good to you see you on, mate. <laughs> see you. Catch you, mate. See you, Darren. Next up, this was a kind of exciting. Uh, Chet actually has a release date for Digger 3. September 12th, right. 2020. And what I love it? his little blurb underneath the Digger 3. I don't know if that's coming across the stream. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, because laser beams and spaceships are for emails with glow sticks. Okay. Well, the typical. Is, that, is, that a, um, is that a jab at the Jedi Order? And lightsabers? <laughs> <Arkanoid>. <laughs> It's I a jab of a lot misspelled. of things simultaneously. Mm. Uh, maybe he misspelled uh, Elmo. Elmo. <laughs> Emos with glow sticks. Okay. <laughs> so That's I'm just awesome. glad the, the official release has been announced. It, we have a date for it. Uh, hopefully we can make it a game on challenge. Nick, if you can fit that into the schedule. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. This is the one that will have all 40 levels, and he said the last level is going to make people hate him. So. <laughs> It's going, be, it's going to be released on the 32nd of October. Oh, okay. it's, be, it's a Saturday it's releasing on. Look at that. <laughs> okay. So we can preview it on the show, Stevie, if you want. Actually, yeah. play live the real version. Yep. Live Rage Quit. <laughs> <laughs> we better get Stevie one of those Neil Blanchard Gamester joysticks so when he hucks it across the room, the joystick will still survive. Yeah. It's going, to do, it's going to do more damage to my walls now than it will the stick. So. <laughs> Might have to get a special version that's uh, heavily armored. <laughs> a special room that's heavily armored. Ooh. So Jim Gary, uh, who ported the Calabeth game from the original Apple II, which was written in 1979 basic by Lord British himself, Richard Garriott, the creator of the Ultima series, also an astronaut on the International Space Station a while back, following his father's footsteps. Um, he's now released an updated version of it, ported back to the Dragon 32 and the Coco, which now supports double speed poke, has some improved fonts. He did a few little, little tweaks. Um, so it runs a bit faster with the double speed than obviously the MC10 version did. Um, but basically it's the full-blown Calibeth game from back in the day. Now it's basic, so it takes a little bit of time to, you know, draw stuff, but it's, it's not bad. And this is what it ran like on the Apple II in the day, because this was okay. the very first graphical RPG I ever played in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, did the Apple II have the ability to do, like, real text on the screen, or did you have to do some type of fake font? They had real text. The the HDR command had two high-res modes, HDR and HDR2. HDR2 made the full screen, so you had, what is it, 280 by 192 graphics. And then HDR did 279, or 280 by 100 and, what was it, 160 or something? And the bottom four lines were real hardware text, so it mixed the two modes together. Okay. So your top part was graphics, and then all that four lines at the bottom there of text was actually done with hardware text in the Apple II. So that part went faster in the Apple II. Okay. Giant but basically, it's a dungeon crawl with you know, you know monsters and various things. Yeah. And, and 3D no, this is this is cool. Yeah, I like what Brett's doing. Um, I spent the past week right now playing this game that's not new, but it's new to me called Skyrim, which is a very expansive kind of role playing game but i'm just getting all kinds of ideas on stuff because i think you know a project i want to work on eventually is some type of role playing type game so um this is cool i like it it's not it's not terribly slow for being in basic no i like i said this is competitive with the original apple II version back yeah. in the day like dungeons of dagger yeah yep yeah. from earlier like calabeth came out three years before dungeons of dagger it's almost three and a half years i think before Dungeons of Dagareth came out so so this might have been the um, what inspired Dungeons of Dagareth. Could be. Probably. I mean, he came out in 80 or 81, I think, is when Ultima came out, where Akelbeth, it's, it's above ground stuff. It does have some above ground stuff, too, but it's got very coarse 
you know, mountains and towns and dungeons. Whereas Ultima actually started editing the color. We had like trees and mountain ranges and, and castles and all this kind of stuff, seas and boats and all kinds of stuff added on. So we got a lot more extensive, but this was the base engine that Ultima one was based on because the original Ultima one was mostly basic as well, though it had some ML routines for doing some fancier effects. And then it was later rewritten in assembly to greatly speed it up. And then Ultima two went all assembly. And from there on in, it was you know, much faster. But uh, this is kind of the one that started the whole 3D dungeon crawls, as far as I know. Can you play actually... this one like an idiot in some book? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. There was actually a whole category of room games, they called them at the time, that was this basic scenario of you have a limited number of options in a box in front of you. I remember... Uh, many books about these things back in the days. I know way too much about them, so I'll be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, which was kind of a last-minute one that I think James Diffendaffer mentioned in Discord, is apparently there's a new Millborn card game for the Coco. Uh, it should be on the Color Computer Archive. I didn't get a chance to see if it's actually showing up yet, because like I said, you know, William only updates you know once or twice a week as he gets time. And it's up gets, there. It is? Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, he labels it as a non-graphic card game, and it's based on the original Atari 8-bit version. But he's running a 51 by 24 high-res screen utility to give you more text on the screen. So I'm assuming this isn't going to be that slow because that's an ML driver. And it might have, depending which one he's using, it might have had some special characters to make, you know, primitive, you know, tile-style graphics with it. I haven't had a chance to actually try it out. Nick, I don't know if you have Nick Morona. No, I just noticed it was up there. It was put up there. Okay. Because that would be one I'd like to try just to see, because most of the basic card games we get are written in basic. I mean, they're drawing the graphics in basic mm. and everything else. This is using a high-risk screen driver in ML in a basic program, so I'm, I'd like to see what he did with it. And that's it for the news and Game On news this week. Neat. Neato. Neato. All right. Well, uh, I think the last thing we need to cover before we put a fork in it would be updates and acquisitions. If anybody has any, maybe we'll take a commercial break before we do that. But quick survey by show of hands. Does anybody have a project update or an acquisition that they want to get into? Brian Weezer. I have a minor project update, but I'll let other people. Okay. So we have Brian Weezer. We have David O'Connor. We have Curtis Boyle. Jason Reichard. Was you having an update too, or is that just your audio barging in? No, no, no update. Okay, so it sounds like we got about three updates. So we'll take a we'll take a brief commercial break, and then we'll be back with a few updates and acquisitions, and then we will wrap up MIDI talk for today. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. The Bakers. Now they like a family present. Let's see now. Tandy's color computer system with its own carry-home pack. That's a family affair. Wow, Dad, a color computer. A computer cassette recorder. And Aussie Accountant. That's for me. And Ausquiz for my school project. And two joysticks and a viewed game. Okay, who's the expert? Me, Dad. Thank you, Tandy. Uh, Sam. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. Hi there, this is Mark Overholder, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco. All situations depicted in this trailer actually happened. 
This true story has been anonymized to protect the guilty. Starting in the dead of winter, a group of bored teenagers blew stuff up, learned code cracking, learned phone freaking, hijacked and hacked. No system was safe. No one could catch them, or so they thought. story at the dawn of the internet system hacked you can leave your head on every christmas santa's little helpers go shopping at radio shack And it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show now. This is Project Updates and Acquisitions. So um, I think there was a couple of two or three people who said they had something to do. I think Brian Weasler, you were one of them. So if you want to go ahead and go first. Okay. Uh, just, a, just a couple books here. I'll go ahead and kind of show here. Uh, one is the... Uh, Kind of a little bit of a dragon series here. The working is it coming through up here? Yep. A little bit of a little bit of a lag here, but uh, the working dragon, thirty-two. So it's a it's a book. That, I, I uh, have the previous version of that called the unemployed dragon thirty-two. Yeah. So obviously it, it, it improved its station. So yeah. Is that the COVID edition? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it goes through and it has a list of some different games and stuff like that that you can do to, you know, like productivity for doing different things and stuff. So, yeah, kind of interesting little book. Uh, and then one that uh, Curtis had mentioned uh, a few weeks back that kind of sparked my curiosity, uh, the advanced graphics for the Dragon computer. Mm. And so it goes through and kind of shows different uh, sample programs on how to take advantage of the uh, graphics and sound capabilities that the, that the Dragon has. So... Kind of a nice, nice book there, and um, uh, not a big deal. But I've always wanted to get one of these. This is the uh, uh, the uh, 
uh, the color computer, the disk oh. system. But the reason I wanted to get it is because it's yeah, the spiral. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember ever seeing yeah. a spiral bound one. Mine are. Um, I have one of those binder. Yeah, and a binder bound. And that's a yeah. good idea. That. Yep. So it lays flat. So I like that. So I, I have the other the other ones like you guys are describing, but this one popped up. And then uh, lastly, two books. Um, not exactly. I mean, there is some Coco references, but also refers to Atari and and Commodore and other ones. And I don't know how popular they are. The actually the cover of the books is what I really like. But then uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, maybe some of you have seen these though. But it's the uh, the adventure games. Uh, series. Adventure. Oh, neat. No, I've not seen and, that generic one before. Yeah, there's a, and then I also have it's a number two. Huh. And uh, what it has is that it goes through on uh, just a couple examples, uh, like some of the games that uh, uh, that have like maps and stuff. Mm-hmm. It actually ha- it actually breaks out and uh, here's an okay. example, kind of like a flow chart of the whole map area. Yep, and so there's like thirty. Let's see, let me give you one example here, real quick. Where'd that chart go? Oh, shoot. I had it marked here. Um, it, it does show all the different games that uh, uh, that they follow and which ones are, are Coco-related or Atari-related. Oh, forgive me. I forgot. I, I should have had a bookmark. Um, but it goes through, and there are some Coco-related games in here that it, that it does go through. I think uh, King's Quest Three is in here um, and some of the other ones. But uh, it's just kind of neat. It's a... It's kind of a, a companion book if you're trying to do some of the adventure type games where absolutely uh, it gives you the maps and everything and stuff. So and there's a uh, two of them that are available. Out do there, you happen to know if these are in digital anywhere on an archive? Because I wouldn't mind looking at some of this. Um, I can certainly look and let you know. I uh, they I look they look to be in really game. good shape. They're glossy and nice and mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, but uh, I'm trying to figure out where I can find darn games here. If I could list them off for you guys, but. Uh, which ones were the uh, the Coco uh, three related ones? I don't see the categories of games. I'm not missing it here. I'm sorry. Should have had a little yeah, I, m- I remember years ago I had a generic book on how to write an adventure game. I never even finished reading it, but I read enough to realize it. It it turned me on to the concept of doing things through data statements as opposed to like I I, I probably would have wrote a whole bunch of if thens. Like if you were in room one and you said open west door then go to room two you know i i but the whole idea of putting everything into data structures um was uh, was you know kind of mind expanding for me and as soon as i saw that piece of it i never finished reading the book i just started <laughs> writing an adventure game and i actually turned mine to work with my bulletin board system or was even online um well as an example here so here in the back here is it shows like the different game versions that are available okay coming yeah coming yeah. through here or not so, like Sands of Egypt, it breaks down Sands of Sands of Egypt in here. Okay. So you can along the top here is all the different systems that it then, would, that it, that was available on. Yep, and then uh, then it has a little bullet point as whether or not that game is covered in here or not. So. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's really considered a cheat manual or not, but uh, nor of a strategy <laughs> guide, a multi 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 game strategy guide. Yep. Oh, that's neat. Well, that's all I have. Cool. Well, I noticed you. I don't know how much you actually chimed in too much on the MIDI part, but I see a keyboard there over your shoulder. So, what are you currently doing in the world of MIDI, or what do you plan on doing? Well, right now I'm, I'm more of just kind of a, I want to say, a user where um, Ryan helped me get set up with his uh, uh, a lot of his songs, and I just enjoy kind of going through and just listening to the music, you know, in that sort of retro uh, fashion. 
So this this keyboard is just one that I picked up for like twenty bucks. It's it actually has a Radio Shack keyboard that has the MIDI ports on the back, and then over here I got uh, I got Jim Brain's uh, uh, MIDI Maestro okay. and an SD card, and the, the the MIDI cables coming out of the out of it, and then I uh, on my uh, up on the screen here is the program that Brian was demonstrating where it has all those different songs that he was uh, yeah. showing off. Yeah. And uh, so I've just been kind of going through and just kind of scrolling through and just finding songs that have already been converted over. I do want to go as far as downloading MIDI files myself and following the steps that he laid out in his most recent video where he's, you know, you download one and then you use a program like Cakewalk to convert it. Okay. So I'd like to find, find some newer songs and just convert them over. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, I think it might be kind of fun to go in and maybe just start doing some tweaking and maybe take a... A MIDI file that's there, and maybe put a little bit of a twist on it, you know, kind of, and just see what I can do. I'm, I'm not a musician by any stretch. Um, I just enjoy listening to the songs, and then you know, maybe go in and just kind of mess around a little bit. And then all I was doing was just more for animation. Is on my other color computer, I have the uh, audio spectrum analyzer. Uh huh. So when I would bring up a song, as an example, uh, uh, for let's see here, back up here. play so when the song would come up let's see here uh, you probably can't hear it very well there though but when the song would come up i just had it plugged into the uh into the keyboard here so the audio is coming through the speaker on the one here and, and oh, I the audio spectrum analyzer just kind of that's <laughs> cool. a little bit of a has a little bit of a graphic for it as all so, so you got one coco playing the music and then you got another coco analyzing the music so that's pretty cool exactly yep yeah, it's, uh, I got the song Radio Gaga is coming up there. So but, okay, uh, neat. But uh, neat. Yeah, it was just kind of just kind of playing around. So do so. Uh, do you plan on doing any of your own compositions of just you know com- might, composing some it music? Might, it might be kind of fun to try to do that. I I don't know how to play the keyboard, but the nice thing about it is that you can go out there and you can download stuff. Um, over to my uh, my left here, uh, you can't see it; it's off screen. I did get my hands on a Mac. Okay. That uh, has the Garage Band that we talked about. Yeah. Um, That's an awesome and, program. And uh, so I thought about using the Garage Band, and then you can download a lot of music, and uh, maybe without actually being able to play an instrument, be able to take bits and pieces from other songs, and maybe maybe shuffle something together. So sequence you know, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sequence some stuff together there. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, just play around with it. Um, it's a world I know nothing about. So. Um, it'll be a, a learning process. Well, that's uh, neat. You you kind like. of you kind of did something that I would be interested in doing, which is to just take the cocoa to play some music on an instrument. Although I know I know you have you have the actual keyboard there, and it's nice if you have all that hardware. I'm trying to minimize and downsize my hardware, so I don't know that I would want to go as far as getting the musical synthesizer, the full arrangement keyboard one. But if they made one of those MIDI Pro packs with uh, a built-in sound chip that I could mm-hmm. just play the software and listen to it through like a headphone jack. I would lo- totally love to do that. I would totally love to use my real Coco to play some MIDI files and hear the music, you know? Well, one of the things you can do, um, and uh, uh, Jim's video that he did about five months ago when he was when they were kind of still in the development of the, uh, the MIDI Maestro, is he used a cable similar to this here. I don't know how well it's going to come through up on the screen, but it's basically a USB cable. And it's a MIDI, so you have the you have your two MIDI yep. in and out cables, yep, 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 and yep. then you got and then it's USB here, 
And so you can plug this end into your computer. Mm -hmm. This this would go into your MIDI Maestro. And then you can download a program called MIDI OX, O-X. Mm -hmm. And you can actually uh, play the MIDI files from your Coco and use your computer right. as, as the, uh, as the, the software synthesizer. Yeah. Yep. And that's what he was doing when he was demonstrating his. So, okay. you know, so that's one option, too, that you can play the music and, you know, go that route. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. MIDI Ox is an extremely useful program. It's like a, a Swiss Army knife for, for checking MIDI data stream to see what it's doing. I've used it for a lot of stuff. You can use it for saving. You know, if, if you if you spit out what they call a, a bulk dump from a synthesizer, which is basically all the information telling it how to program that sound, what all its internal setup and everything, you can save the whole lot basically as one big data file using MIDI OX and then play it back into it and reset the keyboard back up how you had it previously when you previously used it. So really useful program and it's free. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, who else? David O'Connor, you had uh, something, an update? Yeah, just a quick one. Um, as I mentioned last week on, uh, on the show, I'm running a competition at the moment to name my, uh, Coco 3 in a Model 4 case, and there's been quite a few people who have submitted um, <laughs> some quite interesting names and um, some really amusing ones as well. Um, what I'm after is something really short, sharp, and concise, something that just just, just sums up the project really quickly. It's easy to come off the tongue. And uh, Chad Edward has uh, posted up something in there that actually grabbed my attention. Um, he, he, he said, oh, won't you call it Coco Davo? And I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool. But then I... I saw the D, Coco D, and I thought, why don't we just shorten it, Coco D? And D is the fourth letter of the alphabet, mm-hmm. and it's in a Model 4 case. And so it's his Coco, it's his 4, and it's Model D, so it's, you know, like something that hasn't been used yet. So, so far, um, I'm going to keep running the competition because I did mention that I run it until the last weekend mm-hmm. in, uh, in September. Um, so there's still a little while to put in, you know, anyone thinks of good names or whatever. But for the time being, Coco D is the one that I like the most. I'm going to sort of attribute that to Chad Edward. Um, but what I also thought I'd do was to, to get the panel involved as well. Um, on the day or maybe even the week before it, um, as people have put in submissions or whatever, I'll make a list of all the submissions and the different names. And I'm going to give away two prizes. So I'll, I'll give away a copy of the album. That'll be the, the, the either you know, any of my albums. Um, that'll be both prizes. The first prize will be, will be the one that I pick. Um, and the second one, I thought what I'd do is run a, a, a popular vote contest with the panel. So uh, everyone that's on at the end of it, you guys can all vote for which one you like the best. And, uh, and that person will get give, an album uh, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. Far out, man. Far out. Uh, and then was it L. Curtis Boyle? Did you have a update? very very minor update? Okay. Um, whilst developing the Gimme X uh, Nitrous Nine drivers, uh, Bill discovered a small bug in the latest version of Asm that I'd done for the Nitrous Nine Ease of Use project, the one where I sped it up about ten twelve percent from the original. Um, and it's a it's a very outside case. Uh, it's basically if you're trying to assemble stuff that's outside the module itself, which is only needed on two modules out of the entire Nitrous 9 boot, and it worked if it's at the tail end that you're adding extra bytes. So that part worked fine. One one module in specific actually does some pre-bytes, and that's the REL module 
relocate is what it stands for. And it's part when you type the DOS command, that's the very first thing that runs. And the DOS command requires when you load in track 34 that the first two bytes have to be O and S in ASCII. And that tells it, oh, this is a legitimate boot track. You can actually execute stuff. Otherwise, it just you know, clears the screen and does okay. So uh, he discovered that the uh, assembler had a bug where it's not, it's, it's trying to calculate the seriousness of the module, including these extra bytes that shouldn't be included. So I fixed that. And now I'm doing one other bug patch for that somebody else found, which is just a formatting on the listing bug. And it's a fairly rare one, but it doesn't affect you know the output of the assembler. It just makes the listing look a bit wonky. So once I fix that, I will be releasing that as a public release, like Bill did with SDC2 earlier. It'll be part of the updated, you know, beta six as well. But I'll release that one early just because it was a bug fix that you know should be should be out there. So expect that this week. Okay. And then Ken Reichert is reminding us too that whoever loses the competition will get a copy of Nightmare Highway. So if you don't win the album, <laughs> yeah. you don't customize for an MC10. Yes, or what? If you don't win the album, you can lose a copy of Nightmare Highway. So. <laughs> 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 good times. Good times. All right. Well, I think this was a good show. I enjoyed the MIDI talk. Uh, I enjoyed seeing what the various programs, because I have not really used too many MIDI programs on the Coco itself. That's one area. I know. Like uh, the art programs, the paint programs, and the sound stuff, I haven't really messed with too much on, on Coco. So it was kind of cool to see some of that stuff in action. Um, like hearing some of the music you guys had to play, which was good stuff. And I look forward to kind of layering on more of that as time goes on so thank you brian the music man Shoebring. thank you rob inman uh thank you david o'connor and to darren ottery who had to leave and to curtis boyle for kind of pulling all this together this week to come up with the uh, whole mini discussion that was awesome thank you uh nick marota for our game on challenge and curtis for the news um so we'll go ahead and roll the outro and we'll come back for final final thoughts after these words this concludes another episode of coco talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the tandy color computer for all things coco talk visit us on the web at cocotalk.live we'd love to hear from you send feedback suggestions even segments via email to coco talk at cocotalk.live Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode.
help support the Cocoa community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. And this is the tail end of the show. The tra- when the train wreck leaves the station, the last car of the train wreck is the Coco Caboose. This is where we're going to have our final thoughts. There was something I was thinking of asking or saying. Oh, Ron Vaux had asked me, um, what's up with these gloves? And so um, these are compression gloves that just keep your hand a little bit tighter because... Uh, and, and this is the problem that I'm running into right now. Playing on Coco controllers, it hurts my hands, man. So when I was playing with the deluxe joystick now, I'm finding in my older age, these non-ergonomic controllers are, are giving me pain in my joints, man. My, so my rheumatoid arthritis is and in, in my, in my diabetes and all these things are kicking in now. So um, playing on old, on old joysticks hurts my hands, man. So... Um, I'm, uh, oh, I won't bug you about playing then. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's okay. I'm just, I'm going to be focusing on things that I can do more on an emulator. So I like yeah. the deluxe joystick, but the deluxe joystick don't, don't like my hands. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm wearing those gloves. Um, so we're going to go around the room here. Parting thoughts, final thoughts. L. Curtis Boyle, thank you for all that you do on the show and for the community and stuff. Anything you want to say to the folks at home? Yeah, there was one comment that uh, D. Bruce Moore had made earlier on. We were talking about uh, you know MIDI programs found the Coco, and I was going to read it out of the time, but there was a big discussion going on. I kind of forgot about it, and so I'll just quote him. I wrote music on Lyra for its strong notation while studying music. I was on the cutting edge using the Coco compared to the others. So at that time, back in you know the mid '80s, '85, '84, when Lyra came out, that actually was more advanced than anything else out on most home computers at that time. The Atari ST, I don't think, was even out yet at that point. So. Hmm. That's a pretty good plug, you know, for how big the, the MIDI scene on the Coco got. It was probably out of the 8-bit machines, probably the biggest um, mm. as far as, you know, being popular. Neat. David O'Connor, any final thoughts from you, sir? Uh, eat more Vegemite. All right. There you go. Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota. What do you have to say to the folks at home? Uh, we've got a couple of scores already submitted for this week's game, which makes me very happy. There you go. Canyon Climber, you can play with the keyboard, so I don't have to worry about controller cramp. Mm. So there you go. Probably work with the, with the modern controllers, too. Yeah, digital. Need, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rick Eulen, anything for the folks at home? Well, it's been an interesting show, but now i got to go back to this thing. <laughs> I need, <laughs> need a few more DIN connectors and a few more switches. So there you go. Speaking of switches, Jason Reichert, anything you want to leave the folks at home with? Take away. Oh, I don't know. What? Uh, MIDI what? MIDI who? <laughs> MIDI what? MIDI through? MIDI, please. All right. Very cool. Uh, Brian Weasler, final thoughts from you? I'm just wondering if Jason's going to make a MIDI roo. MIDI roo. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would be installed midway between. Uh-oh, we lost you. We lost, we lost you. Midway oh. between what? If it's a mid through, then it would have to be uh, it would have to be installed between MIDI components. There you go. All right, Brian, the Music Man Shoebring, 
Anything you want to say to the folks at home? When can we expect the next installment on your MIDI Coco series? Oh, that's a good question. Um, everybody hearing me all right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Doing a little bit of moon dance behind me also. So, <laughs> um, Hopefully in about a couple of weeks. I'm waiting to get uh, my uh, video um, grabber. Okay. Unit. And maybe you and I can get together offline and we can figure out what's up with your YouTube channel so you can upload the larger video files. So yeah. we kind of need to get yeah. that resolved. That'll work. Okay, cool, so. cool. Mark Bose. Mark, did you ever do anything MIDI? Are you MIDI enthusiast? Uh, actually, I did back in the day, but uh, my keyboard had an accident years ago. So I haven't <laughs> done anything with it since. <laughs> had an accident, an unfortunate accident. <laughs> Ron Delvo, are you still there? I will right, see. We'll come back to Ron. David Ladd, did you enjoy today's show about MIDI? Were you excited about today's oh, show? Oh, why? Yes, I did. It was most <laughs> musically enlightening to me. And I can't wait to play with all those bits from the 6850. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And final thoughts from Nicholas Morentes, the guy's a big oh, fan of uh. MIDI. <laughs> so, sorry, what I miss? I, I must have done. <laughs> Did I miss much? <laughs> yeah, you, you missed a few old midiots. You're, you're adding, talking about midi. You're adding midi support to your games, Nick. You better get on that. <laughs> oh, apparently. <laughs> if, if, if Jim you makes a version of the board that actually has, a, as Steve was suggesting, an actual synthesizer chip with built-in midi, with still allowing you to do the output stuff if you wanted to. I think that might be something as a decent, you know, sound card type thing because well, MIDI yeah. tracks are all over the place. There's editors. Right, We've got right. I, I think the problem with the multiple sound devices is that each one has to be spoken to slightly differently. Where MIDI is an established standard, you would speak to it one way, the MIDI way, right? And yeah, um, and that means you yeah. can you can do editing on other computers if you wanted to. You could do it on the Coco if you wanted to. You could do it in Basic. You can do it in Assembly, like. There's like a portable idea. MIDI sound box uh, on eBay that you can buy for a hundred bucks. It's got a USB um, MIDI interface. It's got its own little battery, so it's totally portable. Uh, and that would it, it fits in your pocket essentially. Hmm. So yeah, <laughs> driving got, that might be something. I've got a MIDI in my pocket, baby. I'm not just happy to and be I'm here. Not afraid to use it. <laughs> 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 All right. I'll show you a stream of bits. Yes. Well, thank you guys for another. <laughs> thank you for a great show, as always, everyone. And thank you to our audience for being here. Ken Reichard and Mikey and David Ladd and, and Robert Murphy and Nick Marota and Rob Inman. And, and uh, Rob Inman posting all our news links. Tom C. was out there. Jim R. was out there. Canadian Retro Things, 8 Bits in the Basement. Rob uh, Qui-Gon was interested in MIDI too and Robert Murphy and all kinds of people James Jones was out here D. Bruce Moore was here earlier Explore VR Erica was here um, all kinds Terry Steen author of Balloon Fire and Killer of Couches was out here um, so yeah I enjoyed the MIDI talk and just kind of came together this week you guys just started talking about MIDI and said hey why don't we just do MIDI on the show and I'm like hey it's a great idea because we usually don't have anything to talk about so this is good alright so <laughs> there we have it alright we're going to press the button say goodbye everybody bye everybody bye, next week bye, everybody. bye. bye. bye.